Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Paik. This is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the limited series on Netflix, Midnight Mass. This week we are covering the seventh and final episode, titled Book 7, Revelation. Very apropos. (sighs) Yeah. Season, or first episode, Genesis. Last episode, Revelation, with yeah. you know, bookended um, this fantastic series. Yes, I'm so glad we decided to jump into this one. Um, Me too. First, as much as you know, I really want to cover you season three, and we will cover it. Um, and you know, everyone was voting. We had to make a decision. Uh, I'm so glad this yeah. this was so worth it. Um, it was quite an emotional journey, as all Mike Flanagan shows are. Uh, should have been a little bit more prepared for this emotional roller coaster that he took took us on, but uh, so so damn good. Yeah, I was n- not disappointed at not all. Not at all. It's. I mean, I should have known. I was already a huge fan of Mike Flanagan. With, I mean, the stuff that you know we covered Bly Manor, and then I listened to you and Sean covering Hill House, and then me and you have done. Dr. Sleep and then mm-hmm. you and Steve did Gerald's game. I listened to that and like all of that's been some of my favorite stuff. And so I know how much I love Mike Flanagan, but I think this series really solidified him in my like top three directors. Yeah. Right now. Like, absolutely. He's just incredible. Like I'm already at that point. I'm like, okay, I uh, will <laughs> ride along with anything he does from this point forward. I think, Absolutely, it's, it's incredible. And I've got a little something to plug at the end of this about stuff, because we did talk about one of his upcoming shows. Yeah. He's got a second well, series that's in work for next year as well. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, so look I will forward talk to about all that at the end, but there's a little Good. plug, a little tease for people. Good. Well, I look <laughs> forward to hearing that. Yeah, he, he has a fan for life with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I'll love some of his things more than others, you know, but... Uh, this for me definitely, you know, tops my list. Um, definitely mm-hmm. up there with Haunting of Hill House. Uh, I, that still has oh, an emotional yeah. impact on me all these years later, uh, and I'll you know just never forget how that made me feel. I, I and I think that's um, kind of something we can all probably re- relate to, right? Is how something makes us feel mm-hmm. um, and how yeah. it resonates with us. And this this definitely resonated. Oh yeah, I was to at say a, the least. <laughs> I was at a Halloween party last night and just like organically the conversation came up with Hill House and the mm-hmm. the funeral home scene and how all that was oh. filmed and the stuff with it it just kind of came up in conversation. It was like, "Ah, oh, yes." And then of course I've got to be my, you know, <laughs> try to be not so humble like little uh, name drop thing be like, "Yeah, I got to, you know, me and Rima got to do a panel uh-huh. with Henry Thomas and the kids to talk about that scene and it was really cool." <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you are not alone. I any opportunity yeah. that I can bring that up like, "Oh, yes, by the way, our uh, good friend Henry <laughs> our Thomas." Good dear close <laughs> personal friend Henry Thomas told us all about filming that and it was wonderful. Right. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, it was such an amazing experience that yeah. um will live with me forever. It was yes. absolutely amazing. And the, and the and the two little ones um, were mm-hmm. just so great, but but yeah, I mean, it, Mike Flanagan has just really 
uh, and not just with his his direction, because I'm, you know, again, I've mentioned many times and such a nerd for the, the technical pieces that go into the filmmaking and how, you know, creative his choices are, but just also the writing, you know, he co-wrote mm-hmm. this with his brother um, and he's been something he's been working on for like 10 years yeah. or, or more, a very long time. And it's kind of. I, I believe the core has all stayed the same, but I think there were some things that evolved and changed over the years, especially just before they um, landed here at Netflix and actually um, shot it. You know, there were, uh, I think, a few things that kind of changed in the script, but the the whole has remained the same. And it's just like, wow, he, he's got so much to say. Yeah. Um, and I'm here for it. So, yeah, this was great. Uh, I'm excited to cover the finale so much happened i i don't know if we'll have enough like i don't know how long we're going to be here talking about it because there's so much <laughs> to say i have a feeling i'm not going to be able to say everything that i want to say there's i feel like so many details i'm probably going to overlook them i'm going to hope you're going to help help me remember some of those <laughs> things in case i do because there was so much um, Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but you know what? We're just going to have to jump in whether we're ready or not. So yep. I don't know, Paik, how are you feeling? You're Sun's ready to coming start? up. We got to get on. <laughs> are you uh, ready for your last number five in our last top five oh, for man. Midnight Mass? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Well well let's do it. it. All right. Uh, number five, I went with our our small group of survivors that we pick up on kind of i mean it it picks up right after the last one but when we see them they're back at aaron's house Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of their plan and how they enact this plan here what they come to and so we see them together and they do have to come up with a plan very fast uh because they're hearing vampires running around pulling people out of their houses and attacking them and they're like we've horrible We've got to do something. They come up to it. Okay, boats are like the only option we have, but all of them are out of service right now because of Sturge. Mm-hmm. And Warren is like, well, I have a canoe up at the uppers. It's not going to get us to the mainland, but it'll get us off island. Of course, there's really, it's a single canoe. What are they going to do with it? Right. And so that's when Aaron kind of comes up with the plan and has all these realizations that they can't leave or all of these people, vampire whatever's are going to to follow them and then that's where she makes that connection that they're going to use those boats to spread off the island so we don't have a choice but to sabotage those boats and they kind of make that realization and decision that this is Mm -hmm. kind of going to be a suicide mission for all of them because the stakes are that high she realizes it's not about saving themselves it's not about saving the island it literally becomes about saving the world which she has that yes. license if one of them, just one of them reaches the mainland. And so they've got to take out the boats and then they know they'll be trapped there on the island with them, but at least exactly. nothing can spread. She has that line, you know, dying for people we haven't met. No greater love than that. That's what the good book says, isn't it? And Exactly. Yeah, so this is this becomes their plan. And I felt so bad for her in that moment as they're making this plan. Lisa, well, we, we, we have to bring my mom and dad along, right? Like we have to... We get them help. We get that. It's so sad. She's such a sweet, loving girl. But you're like, she's so pure. No, there's no chance. Like it's it's unfortunate, but it is what it is here. 
And so when they have that plan, and then Aaron's passing out all these weapons, and Anne just says, it's kind of like, what? It's not helpful. These things aren't going to do anything. But then, as Aaron says, it comes down to minutes or even seconds. Seconds, yep. And yeah, so that's kind of the. And then, you know, further points to go into more things. But as then Mm -hmm. they go through them, and they do, they they enact the plan. Um, They do. It, you know, doesn't end well for really any of them. But. But they do get accomplished what they need to do. They burn all of the boats. Burn, baby, burn. They take care of that. Sure do. And then I love the, you know, during all the craziness that's going on with, with Father Paul, Monsignor Pruitt, whatever, <laughs> whoever he is at this point. Uh, but all that, it gives Aaron and Sheriff Hassan that moment to to take out the rec center too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then I've got a lot of points about stuff that circles around those kind of events but yeah we're gonna but, dig into the details for sure but yeah. it's it's nice to see that they were able to have just those moments to to come up with a quick plan and enact it and and get it done yeah they knew they knew it needed to be done and mm-hmm. knew that what the outcome was probably not going to be great and mm-hmm. accepted that and carried it out yeah um because yeah it was not going to be good you know, for them to leave the island and use the ferry or any of the boats, you know, to kind of spread spread the word, as mm-hmm. I'll refer to it. Um, so, yeah, scary moment. It had to be a scary moment. People scream. You know, they're, they're seeing fires being set. Uh, people screaming. You see someone, like you said, being just hauled right out of their house um, mm-hmm. and thrown on the ground and being fed on. I mean... That's horrific. Yeah. Uh, can't imagine. Good number five. Uh, well, my number five, um, going to talk about Monsignor John Pruitt. And at this point, mm-hmm. uh, I know I'm just going to refer to him as Father, um, or I'm, I will no longer, sorry, be referring to him as Father <laughs> Paul. I had been for quite some time, um, but now that he has fully confessed you know, to who he really is, mm-hmm. he is John Pruitt now to me. Um, and we learned during this episode what his true intentions are. And that is to de-age and have a second chance with Millie, de-age Millie mm-hmm. and have a second chance with her. You know, he yeah. didn't want her to die. You know, she ha- she's suffering from dementia. She's growing old in age, very similar to how he was. You know, they were both kind of in the same same boat, right? They were both suffering from dementia, both growing older, probably had very limited days left. Yeah. Uh, and he saw this as an opportunity um, to give them the chance that they didn't have the first time uh, yeah. in their in their life. And, you know, just some really interesting uh, conversations uh, between them I thought were very sweet. Uh, you know, as Millie, you know, she understands they were not meant to have that chance. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how the cards were laid out. We weren't meant for that. You know, and I, I think that she does love him and care for him. Um, he's the father of her child, which, hey, we finally, yeah. you know, got some confirmation. Um, I love it when I'm right about some things. I know I'm not right about everything, but it's like, I just knew I it. When it comes to this, this show, you've been pretty spot on. <laughs> it's it's probably the only time in this show. I don't, I, I'm, I'm usually batting zero uh, all the other shows that I'm covering. And that's why I try to not talk about what I think or what, or like predict or anything like that, because I'm usually so far off. Um, but I've, I've just felt good about this one, just felt um, connected or something and just 
you know, I don't know, felt that. But anyway, uh, you know, John Pruitt is not a bad man. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to talk about him. I'm, I've just been obsessed with this character and, of course, the actor playing him. But, you know, he's not a bad man. He has good intentions. Mm-hmm. He helps his congregation. You know, he cares a- about them. But he is a very flawed man. Yeah. It and comes, he makes a lot of mistakes. It comes down to, which is interesting, I'm... <laughs> touching very lightly on a like further point but i mean what aaron talks about with self Mm -hmm. is i think that's kind of a big part of this show is i don't think it's like a knock on religion as a whole but it definitely talks about you know the fanaticism or like where you take things too far and it's where it becomes this self-indulgence based on it and and so i think that's the fatal flaw of john pruitt is while his intentions may be good, it's selfish. Yes. Yes. Um, very good. That's a very good point because I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. And, you know, some of the mistakes that he makes, obviously fathering a child out of wedlock, big no-no in the priesthood. Uh, he, and obviously he had some guilt um, over that, over not, you know, not being able to be there for Millie or for her or for their daughter, Sarah, and not being in, in her life. I love that moment between those two in the church when they just have a very clear, like, understanding of like, yeah. I'm sorry that I didn't get to know you better. And she's like, I am too. I'm like, oh, the one, like, true father-daughter moment that they had. It was just very short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one there. And the other is about this creature. And I think we have to just kind of go with the flow. We've talked about it a lot in this uh, series as far as like how they don't quite like, how come they won't say vampire? How come we're not talking about what this thing really is? So I'm, I'm at the end just realizing, okay, just go with the flow that the actual term isn't being said and that the creature as we, we know it as a vampire is for some reason, just not known in the story. Um, And that. Mm -hmm you know, is what contributes to one of his big mistakes. And that is believing this creature to be an angel that has given him eternal life, which is what the Bible promises, right? I mean, yeah. if you if you think of it from his perspective, it's, for me anyway, easy to kind of see how he got to these conclusions. Um, and, you know, the, and, you know, it kept saying, you think that's an angel? But, you know, we've, I think, you know, kind of, anglicized what we think angels are supposed to look like Mm -hmm. um but you know like they said multiple times here in the series um the bible says that angels are scary when humans encounter them you know so from his perspective you can understand his mistakes and i mean for real though when when god needs to do something terrible he to anyone in the bible he sends an angel do you do you want really to meet an angel (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. do, you, do you really want to meet a creature like that? Imagine what it must be like. You know, that the angels are what slaughtered the firstborns of the Egyptians. Angels are scary. So yeah. I feel like it kind of makes sense as to the 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 route that he took. Um, and he wants to share this gift, what he sees as a gift. I and mean, he says it multiple times. This was a gift. And, he and you know, we talk about Riley. He threw this away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wants to share it with his congregation. But it's not as it seems. Um and we do learn one of his sins here is pride because this gift is not as benevolent as sharing it with congre- congregation, but and getting that second chance with Millie and Sarah. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting that as much as what Catholicism meant to Pruitt, which we know it meant a lot to him, yeah. he would have cast it all aside if Millie had asked. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I don't know. Very complicated character, this Monsignor John Pruitt. And I, I love it. I love the, I, I think, uh, this was fantastic. It wasn't just a cut and dry. I don't really see him as evil. Um, I think he was a good man that made a lot of mistakes, paid for them dearly, saw the errors of his ways as we saw as he come along in this episode, you know, and, and realized like, like, what have I wrought, you know, here? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, and I love the moments between him and Millie and him and Sarah all yeah. up until the end. So that's my little monologue there on Perfect. It felt, felt a little bit like a monologue. It's <laughs> kind of going on. It's the theme of the show, right? Monologues. Right. We're just going to monologue this podcast. <laughs> She's wearing a chasuble while doing this. It's crazy. No, um. <laughs> it's gold. Thank you. No. <laughs> um, anyway, anything you want to say about that, or if that leads into one of your other points, we could yeah. save it for, for well, later. Well, it, it, it does run into one of my points, but I don't mind just transitioning into it, because uh, it was my number three, so... We'll trade around for a little bit. Switch um, a little number, yeah. number switcheroo. <laughs> so we can kind of keep that going because, yeah, because my – so my number four now. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, is just kind of John, Mildred, and Sarah, this family unit, unit in a way or at least, you know, the family that could have been. Yeah. And so, of course, we kick off the episode. It starts with Millie waking up fully turned, very much younger. Her hair has gone like this dark color more yeah. brown it's not great at all and then of course <laughs> father paul <laughs> monsignor <laughs> pruitt uh you know he's healed from his head wound and he's just sitting alone on the altar just looking at this bloody wreck of a church and i think yeah. even then the remorse is already setting in on how poorly the whole thing went although i mean in retrospect what do you expect <laughs> yeah, uh, did, was did he expect it yeah. to go very well? Like everybody been like, "Oh yeah, no, this is a great idea. Let's do this." Yeah, but uh, Millie walks in, and even though she just shot him in the head earlier, he still loves her so mm-hmm. much that it's just she comes and sits down with him, and they talk, and that's where we get those big reveals officially that you talked about. The the one being that you know, yeah, he says that he felt this was a calling from God and an end of death. But really what it all boiled down to is this selfish intention of through his love for, for Millie and Sarah to to avoid her death mm-hmm. and to keep this thing, you know, to give that second chance, which I th- kind of look at as delusion. I think he's deluded to think that there's ever a second chance through all of this. Um, yeah. <laughs> even if, you know, things wouldn't have went the way they did, I don't, I don't know. I don't see things ever being happy <laughs> with with them not in this situation i mean we know that's what his goal was but that's definitely Mm -hmm. a theme with mike flanagan and some of his other stories or second chances yeah um and so yeah it doesn't surprise me that that's kind of where this landed too yeah and it's just it it is heart aching there to you know this he does this for a daughter that he never got to be a father to and he wants that chance to have that relationship but and this is where i'm I'm going to try to, (laughs) 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 you know, warning, things I say might be offensive to those who (laughs) are in the faith of certain things, but a lot of it comes from my own personal experience or, you know, personal beliefs and opinions on things. And so just, I figure like it's in my notes, it's where I'm at in my headspace while watching this. It's like, I get it. You know, Mildred was married at the time Mm -hmm. and, you know, as a 
as a priest, because from what I understand, I mean, priests aren't supposed to really have anybody, regardless of whether they're married or not, in some circles. And right, so, you are supposed to be abstinent. There, yeah. There's, yeah, you, you take a vow of which, abstinence. Which um, that, to me, already is just, like, gross. But <laughs> that's where I'm, you know, just me personally. I, I mean, people with their with their beliefs, I don't want to, you know, cut down on you too hard. But, but it is, it was hard for me seeing this because this position he was in is, because he's wrapped up in this, like, archaic religious tradition that it's forcing him to lie to everyone himself, his own daughter for her mm-hmm. entire life. It's, it's tragic. And, you know, to the, him having love and having a family is considered a sin and yeah. that he can't be a man of God leading a congregation because of it. Like, fuck that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, yeah. that's, I, you know, you, you have, he, he's put in a place where he has to choose religious dogma over his own daughter. And that doesn't sit well with me. But yeah. again, religion can be tricky and personal, and so I want again just say like that's that's where I view on it, and other people who maybe are Catholics and have a lot more, you know, close connection to kind of those things, and realize well that's something he signed up for, being a man of the cloth, and this is what you know I get it, but also from my outside view looking in, I'm like don't like it, and I think he never should have been put in that position anyway, but that's where he is with with the faith that he. He leads there. Yeah. But again, as much as what it did mean to him and as as devout and faithful that he was, mm-hmm. um, at least, of course, besides this moment, outside, I don't know how much of a relationship that they had, what exactly led up to that. I, it's not really that important or anything, but, you know, there at least was a moment between the yeah. two because there, Sarah was the result of that moment. Um and he obviously loved both of them from afar. Um, but yeah. he does tell Millie, I would have put mm-hmm. all of that aside if you had asked. And of course, she's like, you should have known I was never going to. I yeah. was never going to ask that of you. I mean, because, I mean, from her perspective, I mean, I don't know everything that was going through her her head or anything. But I'm thinking one thing, at least anyway, that I would be thinking if in that same position is how could you ask someone to who's made this commitment this lifelong commitment, right? It's, it is a lifelong commitment. I mean, you can quit. They don't like chain you to a wall or anything. If you become a priest, you can leave the priesthood. I'm sure there have been people that have left the priesthood, but um, you know, it is a vow that you take. And most people who take the vow are, you know, they're, they're there for lifetime. It's like a lifetime vow for them. So they take Mm -hmm. it very seriously. So how would she have felt, you know, to say, break your vow, leave the church and everything that you've known and that you that you feel faithful towards and come be a family with us instead. Uh, yeah. So I can see where she would be like, I, I wouldn't have asked that of you. Um, but sure. he w- apparently wasn't going to do it unless he did ask her. So definitely a very sad situation for mm-hmm. both of them. Because then you think of like, well, what if, right. you know, what if he wasn't a priest? What if, or what if he had just decided on his own? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to to leave. Um, but again, he he, without knowing Millie that that's what Millie wanted, he wasn't going to do it. I yeah. think he wanted to hear from her that this is like I do want to be with you, um, and mm-hmm. this is what I want to do. So just a sad, sad situation. It's just it's yeah. The whole thing is just <laughs> tragic. Which is yeah. I mean, Mike Flanagan's wheelhouse for sure is just for tragedy. sure. So yeah, and but I like seeing how he kind of 
changes his tune and thoughts about things throughout the episodes. Uh, especially the situation I'll talk about later, but the, the Howard Hobbs situation with Bev. Oh my God. And as he's watching that, and then he just sums it up so greatly under, kind of under his breath, but he just says, this is monstrous. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, oh, there's a big change in him right there. And that's when he makes that decision. He tells Howard, seek solace in the church, come with me. And I love that line, all are welcome, or this all isn't really a house of God. Exactly. And I do like that. But then when he walks into the church to see Sarah dousing the place in gasoline, and then his response to look at it, and she's kind of scared, like, uh-oh, this evil, crazy vampire leader has found me. Mm-hmm. And all he does is just look at her and say, good. Like, just burn it all down. It's it's a lost cause at this point. And then that's when he reveals to her that he is her father, which she takes a lot better than you would think. But uh, <laughs> she's... I feel like she already <laughs> kind of knew just a she little She might bit. have. Like, yeah. I always had this feeling, and it just got confirmed in that moment. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and then... Yeah, like that, you know, I wish I could have had a chance to to know you better, me too. Mm, I know. And then it's cut, that moment is cut short so horrifically when Sturge shoots Sarah. Oh my God. And I remember the first time, my first watch of this, my neighbors, my apartment neighbors probably like, oh my God, what's going on? Because I literally just yelled very loudly when she got shot. I went, fuck! Just like. Yeah, my neighbors and and your neighbors both uh, uh, probably heard the same thing. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, no, it's the the worst time, and Gosh. he reacts in anger. Obviously, I'm surprised he hasn't lashed out and like just beat the shit out of Bev or Sturge already. He's been keeping himself collected. He has through all yeah. this, and but then Millie kind of pulls him away from Sturge, and they go in to see Sarah, and just he's panicking and freaking out, and he you know, bites his arm open and is trying to get her to drink the blood so she'll come back. And it's another tragic but also kind of beautiful moment where she just spits it out and refuses it. Oh, she's know. ready to die an actual death. She's not going to be another not- one of these monsters added to the problem. She- yeah. She and is- I commend her for that. <laughs> I do too. I do too. It had to, I mean, I don't know, maybe it wasn't a tough choice for her, but uh, knowing that what was being presented to you and you've got your, your mom on one side of you uh, and your f- newly found father on the other, and mm-hmm. you're refusing to, to take this gift as they say um, to, yeah. to live. Yeah. But I think when she dies, it's sad. Mm-hmm. Pruitt is sad, but I don't think he views it as her refusing a gift at that point. I think he totally yeah. understands her decision and, and is okay with it. And that's when they, they pick her up and take her body to the bridge that she loved as a kid. And oh. and on their way out, they set the church on fire. And it's another. Then I have my Pruitt moment of going, good. <laughs> like, yes, good. You know, <laughs> just well, it, let it all burn and leave it behind. And I think at that moment, he realizes, like, yeah, this is more important than and any of that. Yeah. Well, and it had to be, I think, for him being the priest of this congregation for so many years and to see what happened there in the last episode with the whole massacre mm-hmm. and, you know, that that was not what he had intended. Um, it all just kind of fell apart, his planning and what he wanted to do. Now, not that I'm saying it's okay or anything, but, you know, I felt like he was trying to prevent this whole massacre. It was like trying to yeah. bring people in slowly and... 
you know, calmly and not have, you know, all these uh, fledgling vampires attacking everyone and, and turning the people that resisted, you know, and treating them as food. And then Bev opening the doors and just unleashing everyone on the entire island. Uh, you know, that's not what he intended. So I can't imagine what it probably felt like to him to look around and see just the walls, the floor, the pews, everything just drenched in blood. Yeah. He, I mean, he had to be completely horrified. I mean, that's not what he was wanting at all. Um, so I felt for him in that moment there in the beginning when he's just sitting there on the steps in front of the altar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all all really good scenes. Um, and tragic. Yeah. Crap. Um, well, my number four, uh, I wanted to talk about um, the thirst that can be resisted mm-hmm. because I... I thought it was pretty interesting to see that some people that were turned were able to restrain themselves from attacking yes. others and drinking blood. Um, I thought that was an interesting development, considering that the thirst, uh, at least from what we, we had previously seen, seemed to be insatiable and irresistible and you know showed a real lack of control that the other newborn vampires possessed. Um, and I think that this speaks to the idea of midnight mass or yeah midnight mass's ideas about addiction and restraint mm-hmm. um ed um and ann flynn do not attack people um ali does not attack people mm-hmm. which speaks about their restraint um ed and ann flynn specifically with what they have went through with riley's troubles the emotional trauma that they've experienced with his addiction um and the outcomes of that with his accident um, and then Ali, who learned restraint through his Muslim teachings with his dad. You know, mm-hmm. we saw, uh, was it the first episode that he's uh, when they're out on the uppers and he decides not to drink alcohol, they hand him some, he's like, no, nah, I'm good. You know, because mm-hmm. his dad's like, oh, no drinking, you know. Um, and he, he holds to that. He can hold back, yeah. you know, whereas a lot of teenagers cave under the peer pressure, right? So I think mm-hmm. it speaks a lot about Ali as a person that he has practiced restraint and has learned that from his father and his um, religious teachings. And then the same for Ed and Anne having gone through what they went through with Riley. So I think it's just really interesting, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, addiction and restraint, um, I think it's definitely a statement that is being made here about that restraint and personal freedoms as well. I mean, it's free will, I think too. So thought that was just really interesting and just wanted to kind of make that one of my points because i was like oh so you don't have to like yeah you're hungry you feel that but you don't have to act on it yeah that that was interesting so anyway short kind of short and sweet but that's my number (laughs) four um what is your number three so my number three also very short and sweet just kind of touching on the sole survivors, in a way, I guess at the end, but Warren mm. and Lisa and what they went through. Uh, again, Rima, as always, you're right. Because <laughs> I remember back in the episode where Lisa confronts Joe in his trailer and you said the rifle hang on the wall would come back into play. <laughs> you got and it. And there they go. You they run again. in there and, yeah, yep. and grab it. <laughs> and so their whole plan is just trying to get down to, you know, the canoe to get to the uppers that little area um of course they're having to duck and dodge around all these vampires and things going on and they end up going into the abandoned building for a quick escape which oi who that was it's very tense they find bowl 
You would think nobody thought to look in the abandoned building when searching for this missing person. But, uh, uh, and some other people, including, yeah, an actively feeding angel, creature, vampire. Man, you know, Uh, (laughs) I'm never going to get that out of my head. That slurping. Mm -hmm. Wow. That just... And that casual, like, because he was like, I don't care who's watching me eat. You right. know, I'm just going to keep going. And, you know, even when they shot at him, he and he kind of did that little, like, shoo, mm-hmm. shoo away. Right. Leave me it. alone. I'm like, eating. Stop it. Yeah. I'm trying to eat here. And he just casually goes back to, like, nuzzling the neck and slurping. I'm like, I'm never going to get that out of my head. That's going to live in right. my nightmares <laughs> forever. Which, that scene, I mean, showing how focused that, that thing gets while exactly. feeding. Exactly. It, uh, and then nothing's going to deter it. That yep. comes back into play pretty big later. Uh, it does. Of course, the one thing that will deter it and make it stop eating was setting it on fire. So good mm-hmm. job for them uh, on that. <laughs> yep. Kicks it out of there. And then, yeah, they, they walk out of the building after setting it and the creature on fire. And then Sturge and some other people find them. And I'm like, oh, Warren, why would you leave the rifle on the ground there as you guys oh run gosh. away? I know. Because now Sturge has the rifle. And then we talked about what happened because of that. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Not not great. No, uh, no good things come of that. No. But yeah, they just, they run off. They make it down to the water's edge. I'm not sure what distracted Sturge. And I guess they just kind of decided like, ah, let them go. It's not worth our time. But, like how far are they going to get, right? Right, exactly. They'll catch him later. Yeah, they make it down to the canoe, get out on the water and, and head out. And they have that little like last moment where they're looking at just the the flames and the smoke rising from the town and they come to that realization together that you know our our families our parents everybody's gone there's no <laughs> they're they're not making it out of this how surreal that must have been for us them. on our own now at this point and it's just a really sad moment but at least they have each other to share mm-hmm. it yeah and they just they take out onto the water to sit through the aftermath and wait for sunrise and it's, yeah, it's, I, you know, part of me is just like, you know, I wonder what, what that becomes of them after. There's always that, like, open-endedness of this where you're like, mm-hmm. okay, so all the vampires are, like, ashes and burnt up. So they go back to the island at that point where it's empty and then they try to reconnect connections or whatever or wait for the fairies or, you know, how do they reach out for help or, you know? Right, because there was no no power. They cut the cell signal Mm -hmm. but you know and i thought i meant to bring this up last week and i just it totally slipped my mind and i didn't have it in my notes but they disconnected like the cell so there was no cell service on the island and they disconnected power but what about landlines do you think anyone had a like an actual landline that made it might have connected to the mainland i mean i know there's very few and far between because most people don't have them anymore anyway but i feel like in a place like crockett island that you know they're a little slow with the times, maybe, that there would be someone on the island that might still have a landline, or at least, like, yeah. the main... Uh, but all the houses uh, are burnt down now, so... Yeah, now it wouldn't do any yeah. good. But <laughs> before everything had burned down, you know, mm-hmm. was there even a landline for someone right. to access? Like, a, uh, there was a mayor, so was there, like, some sort of official government building? There was the sheriff's office. I bet he had a landline, you know, just as, like, a backup in case something yeah. happened with this. Yeah, I mean, didn't tower. we see him using that to contact people about Joe Colley and stuff at one point? 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I feel like I remember a seeing one. a landline, so I don't know. It just maybe something before, yeah. I yeah. mean, obviously, now it wouldn't help them because everything's burned, but not one yeah. house or mm-hmm. building had a landline. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's a really good point, though, about Warren and Lisa. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting, like, man, that the sight of after uh, it was sunlight and the ashes – started falling like on them like the the wind blew and the the ashes mm-hmm. of like the islanders like just fell around them and i was like oh god that's it's so all confetti yeah it's Oof, yeah there's it's a callback oh. <laughs> yeah call back it's all just uh. confetti <sighs> can't go there again um, <laughs> but yeah how how surreal that must have been been for them and I, I thought it was some interesting symbolism of Warren and Lisa. This is in one of my notes, uh, being the lone survivors. You know, it's fitting that there are witnesses to what happens on Crockett Island to witness mm-hmm. and share the news. Because, hey, that's what happens in the Bible, right? The Bible yeah. is a secondhand text with – would have no gospels without witnesses to tell the tale. Right. So, is that what happens? Is Do, do Warren and Lisa, as our Adam and Eve, if you will, in this story mm-hmm. – go off to tell the tale of what happened here on Crockett Island. I don't know, but just thought there was some interesting symbolism there between um, them two being the uh, lone survivors of the ordeal. That's awesome. Uh, That was a good number three. Well, my number three, um, gosh, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the differences between Aaron and Bev. All right and why I really en- enjoyed Aaron's character versus someone like Bev, uh, yeah. the character and people who are like her. Um, <laughs> because, uh, if, I think Aaron represents a person who lives by the principles of her faith, but she's inclusive, right? She's forgiving. Mm-hmm. She's open. She's welcoming. Yeah. Um, she's what I consider to be like a moderate Right, um, mm-hmm. and then H- Sheriff Hassan is very much the same as well. He's he has faith, but he's also a, a moderate. And I think it's interesting how this show kind of showed the commonality between the two religions, between Aaron's faith and Sheriff Hassan's faith. That yes, there are some differences in some of their beliefs, but at their core. They have faith, but they're open and inclusive. They have open dialogue. They're open to other ideas. They welcome people. Um, and then you look at someone like Bev, <laughs> who mm-hmm. I, th- I think for me represents uh, someone who is, you know, kind of goes a different way um, with their fundamentalist thinking. Um mm-hmm. And something that was pointed out when, in a great moment, by the way, when Annie confronted Bev, uh, which might have a note about or something, so I won't go too far into, but, you know, someone of, of her way of thinking that thinks that, well, God loves me, but they love, God loves me more than all other people. Yeah. Um, and I think that we see too many people like Bev in the world today, at least in the news, um, we see we see that a lot, and I think that she represents how someone can start to be very well intentioned in their faith, but then get corrupted, and how the faith can be weaponized, yeah. and how people can be made to do things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise do. 
Yeah, I have that as a, in a note is just saying Bev is a great representation of the worst of self-righteous zealots. Yes. The furthest people can be pushed in that direction, Bev is a representation of. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I feel like I can, I can have conversations with people like Aaron, you mm-hmm. know, people that can have their faith and be inclusive, um, forgiving, open, um, and welcoming of ideas and having conversations about things like that. Whereas someone with like Bev, you can't have conversations with right. just, um, that their, their way of thinking is like the only way of thinking. And I think sometimes we see that probably more than the good. Cause I know there's a lot of good people with faith, um, out there. And I don't think they get very good representation sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I don't think I see it very often anyway, but I know it exists. Yes. So, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting, though, those differences between Aaron and Bev and kind of, you know, they're both of faith, but clearly very different. Yeah. Um, and how they come across. So, anyway, um, that's my number three. What All is right. your number two? Okay, this is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Are we getting, do, do I got to put my boots um, on? Are we getting deep here? Well, um, um, I'm a little not worried. really deep. Not really so much deep as just <laughs> okay. like. Are we ready for a hate fest? Um, okay. Just for one right. last one last time, I get to have a point that I just get to call fucking Bev. So oh I'm building boy. off on that. It's just she's the worst. I was like, can I can I have a whole point where I just get to talk shit about Bev and all the terrible things she does in this do. episode? And I'm like, I think I should. I think I should. You, you totally and, have that platform. Go for it. Yeah. And again, is it's hopefully as I go through this, you know, people don't. I hope there's nobody listening to this that feels connected and uh, it's like, oh, but Bev represents me. But you never know. Um, but yeah, you never know. I, 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 won't, I don't speak to this represents everybody who is religious, but uh, definitely the people that are Bev and like Bev. Um, and it, we started off, you know, while this planning is going on, I was talking about earlier, and mm-hmm. that just gets interrupted by a couple of Molotovs. I'm like, okay, this lady has gone full psycho evil crazy. Yes. And Anne comes out to talk to her instead of Aaron. And then she's, you know, talking about, oh, yeah, these people, these people. And she drops terror-loving sheriff, which I was like, oh, really, Bev? So I guess now that you're an immortal monster, your racist, hateful monster that you've always been gets to come out, too, and play. Yeah, you don't Uh, have to play nice anymore. You can just bring out all of that racism and, you know. Yep. It's disgusting. Ugh. And then... After what happens with Annie, um, she has her own revelation, the name of the episode, and she even says it, revelation, and it has double meaning. She's saying the book of the Bible is where mm-hmm. this is about to come from, but also revelation. Like, I've just had this epiphany of what we should do, and and it's one of pure evil that she perfectly twists into the quote-unquote oh will of god yes she just has this incredible talent of taking scripture from the bible and then bastardizing it to justify the most horrible of acts oh, we've seen yeah. her doing it she she's done it all all season. all all season yeah but this one like really tops the charts of this mm-hmm. stuff so thank god it backfires on her mm-hmm. but this is her place she's like well we're just gonna go around and we're gonna burn all the buildings on the island until the only choice that anyone has is to take refuge in the church in the rec center where they have to be turned. And then I have the power of getting to decide who lives and dies. Mm-hmm. And 
Uh, and then she takes that idea to, <laughs> no. to the Monsignor and she's just like, see, look at all the beautiful things I've done. And he's like, bitch, you crazy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like he's like, what have you done? At this point, yeah. he's even like, no, we are, this is wrong. You are wrong. We are. And that's where I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up, Bev. Oh but it's very God, typical of her because then when the Monsignor realizes what they're doing is wrong. She turns it into her typical bullshit again of, you know, well, the Bible says that even those in leadership will go astray. So clearly, you know, you've turned against God now. And because I'm always right and the most godly human on the planet Earth, everything oh, yeah. that I do, God shines his holy light on me because I'm practically Jesus. Right. So. God, I know she's so unbearable. So it's like, oh, get behind me then. And, you know, you're a stumbling block to me, brood of vipers. And all of a sudden, oh, so clearly she can't be wrong. So Monsignor mm-hmm. is turning his back on God and now she's the one in charge. And I love the line that he gives back to her though, where he says, you know, that's the thing about priesthood is it's never supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about God. And I just, Oh, I love that so much. I do too. And you wait for it to sink into her. And then she's just like, Oh, so clearly you're evil then now too. And I'm going to just take on. I'm like, Oh God, there's a very specific word I want to use that contributes to Bev so badly the most fitting but it's just not appropriate to say on a podcast as bad as i want to so i won't um See you next tuesday it's what yeah, i'm thinking <laughs> yeah exactly uh <laughs> and then bev comes back with this well like, you're you're right you're not in charge now and i'm like oh you're gonna lead now bev because you do know that your precious bible also says women can't lead as the flock as a shepherd right like uh you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing my best Bev impression here. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. That's Timothy, First uh, Timothy two twelve. See, I can do that bullshit too, Bev. Like it's yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's not hard. You can you um, can you can like take all kinds of quotes out of the Bible and spin them however you like to fit right. your agenda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I could I can pull First Timothy and be like, see, the Bible clearly says you can't take over authority from a man in charge, the father. So how dare you be doing this? Mm-hmm. I get way too fired up over this fictional TV show right now. Um. <laughs> it's it's triggering. We've talked about it yeah. multiple times, and it's triggering for for folks on both sides and right. for people in between both sides. I'm sure it's it's it's. I've had some triggering moments. We've had people write in. It's triggering. It's totally, I mean, and I think that's good. I feel like that's, you know, kind of what Mike Flanagan wants. He wants to, yeah. you know, wants you to get kind of fired up about this. You know, this show does, you know, kind of present like a, a, a metaphor. He's kind of a little bit more ph- philosophical in what he's trying to kind of show us here in this um, series. Um, but I think it's good that we're, that we're talking about it. Right? Yeah, because exactly. the, the Bevs of the world don't go away. Right. You know, um, and so so then it becomes nice to see the cracks start forming and mm-hmm. things start falling apart for her. I like that moment when Sturge comes back to tell her all the boats have been burned and she's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. You know, Wade will just call in the fairies. But then you can tell she's still mad because she falls up with they who, which I laughed. at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, yep, she's it's starting to get to her a little bit. And it's like, yeah, die mad, Bev. Um, yeah. And then the moment with Howard Hobbs, I mentioned, was a big one. That's what really flips the the Monsignor to really realizing, like, mm, no. Wow, yeah. it is such an emotional scene. We have this guy, Howard Hobbs, who was attacked and turned with no clue what was going on. And then because of what he became, he attacked and killed his family. Didn't bring them back because he had no idea he about didn't know anything. know what was going on, yeah. And then he goes to the church, maybe to find some answers, to find some kind of 
you know, something, people that he can lean on. And instead he gets yelled at and blamed by Bev that everything, you know, well, I don't see, I've never seen you show up at church a day in your life. And, you know, maybe if you would have been showing up and accepting God's gifts, then you would have known in this critical moment what you're supposed to do. So it's all your fault that this has happened and you can't stay here. It just turns him away today. I'm like, oh, eat a party sized bag of dicks, Bev. Yeah, (laughs) all of them. Ah. And and then after that situation with Howard, and then we see Sheriff Hassan burning the outside of the rec center. And it, the, the hypocrisy, you disgusting viper, you would burn us in our homes? I'm like, what exactly was it you were just doing to every single building and home exactly. on the island? You hypocritical wart. Um, yes. <laughs> and then has to call him a terrorist one more time. Oh and dirty gosh, blood and all that. Hatred I'm that like, she spewed. Oh my oh, God. It just it like, made me sick to my stomach, the words. She's really seasoning this thing up to make her death the most delicious thing in existence, isn't Absolutely. she? Absolutely. Like, I'm just, you're just, at this point, you're waiting for it. Like, please give me this. Mm-hmm. And so that rec center goes up in flames. And like, I do feel kind of bad for some of the more innocent people that haven't done a lot of stuff, you know, like the Flynn's that just get dragged into this there. But then also I have to laugh at Bev. Cause I'm like, fuck you. Looks yeah. like you have to die now. Like suck it. You thunder. Nope. Still Jeez. can't say it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. What but, you want to say. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's great. And then everybody just kind of gives up and wanders off and you get that great image of with the rec center burning and she's standing there all alone. Everyone else has wandered off, and it's like, good, look at what you have done, you rotting cabbage. Mm-hmm. This is all your fault. And it's like you've left it this way because of the power you wanted and the self-righteousness you felt. This is your doing. Congratulations. It's all her doing. All her doing. The wonderful point, because it's actually my number two. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because figuring out, like, well, what what does Bev want to do with all of these vampires, she wants to make more bevs. What does mm-hmm. Bev want? She wants more bevs. Um, so that's what you know her plan is. And like you said, ironically, it's her plan that brings down the entire island and what she was yeah. working to save um, backfired. You know, her plan to burn all the structures, um, which according to her um, is revelation, and with that comes hellfire. But hey, they need an ark. And what better place than the church? Um, and of course, right. the rec center. Um, hey, the church didn't burn in the fires in 84, so makes sense, right? Um, and hey, good plan as long as nothing happens to the ark, right? Right. Um, and so I thought there was really great symbolism here as well, because for me, burning a church designated as an ark, um, but even better was the rec center, the representative of Bev's greed. Because remember yeah. <laughs> that Bev talked the town into giving the money that they got from the settlement. Like, hey, don't fight the big oil mm-hmm. guys, right, for more money. Take the settlement. And what Beverly should we do Keen's with that settlement? Queen, Queen Bitch Emporium LLC, right? Is that what? <laughs> yes. So talking the town into giving the money, um, and then they got the rec center. This stupid rec center <laughs> is what they have to show for their loss their their loss of business and how it's damaged the town this is what they have to show for it um and then this goes up in flames as well no other i mean it was satisfying to see bev's end of course and but it was so satisfying to see her standing there in front of like all of that just going up in flames and she's like oh shit um was was a great moment for me Mm -hmm. personally 
Because you see her start floundering at that point. She's talking to to Sturge and to to Wade and Dolly, and she's like, "Well, there's there's got to be somewhere we can go, right?" And they're like, "No, you fucking ruined it all. <laughs> like, there's nowhere else we can go." He's like, "Well, there, there's got to be that. Nope. Like, <laughs> because of your choices and what you've led people to do, this is what we have left. Like, Nothing there is left. No, no other choice." It is hard to imagine that there was nothing left. I was thinking the little bridge that John Pruitt and Millie were on where they took Sarah. I was like, can Just, you hide under the bridge? I don't know. How many is people there... can we cram under there? <laughs> can uh, we all fetal position everyone? I don't know. And, and wait stay out the there sun. Stay there till sun. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, man. Man, oh, man. Yeah, good good moments and freaking Bev. Mm-hmm. That was a good number two. That was actually my number two as well. And I, I think you said things way better than what I could. And I've added my two cents. So um, let's get to it. Let's get to our number ones. Whew. All right. And I feel like we might have the same here. but Maybe. Uh, That's okay. We can talk about it. Because I, I just have it as deaths and the ending of all of our characters. Okay. And I even have it like parsed out as like different characters. Okay. And so the one I'll just kind of in order i will start with aaron um yeah you know we get like right before the she's able to set the building the the rec center on fire our favorite totally not a vampire but a beautiful heavenly being swoops down and grabs her pulls her aside starts draining her and then yeah all hope seems lost i love then ollie steps up like oh shit yeah you white people are crazy let's just let's burn it Mm -hmm. all down um (laughs) but i you know, we've seen, again, I talked about it, how focused this creature gets while oh, feeding. And creepy, Aaron yeah. smartly takes that moment to take out her knife and she starts cutting all kinds of holes and slits and everything into the wings while it's feeding on her. Because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has their wings clipped at some time, right? I'm um, glad you brought that up. That was a nice <laughs> bit of a callback when she's talking yeah. about her mom clipping mm-hmm. the dove's wings. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, it's great. And then when the sun is, you know, will be rising soon, so the creature flies off to leave her just laying to die in the grass. And then, just like Riley, she has her final dream that her and Riley talked about. And hers takes her back to that conversation with Riley, which... Oh, my gosh. Well, just... was great sorry. to see Zach Guilford again. Yeah. Can we take just a moment? Because um, <laughs> to see my precious Riley, uh, I gasped. And immediately, like, I was already just in a state of shock, right, from Uh everything that was happening and what was happening with Aaron. Like, oh, my God, Aaron's dying. Everyone's just going to die. Everyone's just going to die. I'm in this, like, mode, right? And then she goes back to the couch and turns her head, and there was Riley. And immediately, tears. Yeah. Just tears. Like, oh, my God, my Riley was back. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to shut up because I'm going to start crying again. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, just a moment. Moment for Riley. Uh Okay, continue. Yeah. And then they, they cut back to that, what do you think happens when you die? And this time in her dream, she gets to answer for herself. Except then she starts it with the, but that's the problem, is self. It's not really about self. Exactly. And and then she kind of, it mirrors a lot of what Riley was saying. I, I didn't write down the whole speech. I thought about it, but I'm like, man, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I, I've summarized. That's, it's my number one is just her death speech and kind of the mm-hmm. meaning behind that and the interesting contrast between that one and her other one. Cool. So, um, so I'll let you yeah. dig into that a little yeah, bit Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll save that and you continue yeah. with yours. Because I just have some, I mean, it's a, it's a Carl Sagan, like, you know, star stuff speech that, that mm-hmm. Riley had given 
before with these, you know, I am energy, you know, we are the cosmos dreaming of itself, which very similar to Carl Sagan with his, you know, we are a way for the cosmos to know itself. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think that was really cool that she kind of took that plan and yeah, you'll get into it more, but it is this kind of universalism in a way of, you know, the universe is what we call God and everything being one of itself and everything works together and it's all parts of the same being. And yeah, it's, it's cool. It is. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's what I have on Aaron. Of course, then the other ones are pretty short, but we have Ollie and Sheriff Hassan as they, you know, hit, you know, Sheriff Hassan has been shot twice. Ollie oh, picks him God. up. He's, they're making their way to the beach together. Ollie is finally praying with his father one last time. And that's, that was one that hit me the hardest where I was like um, really just crying. I'm not going to recover know. from Sheriff Hassan. <laughs> that was right. rough. That was rough. And then luckily in the most, like in the loosest use of the word luck, um, the sheriff does succumb to his wounds and dies before having to witness his son turn to ash in front of him. Like, I'm glad he died before he, <sighs> yeah. I, I, I don't, I didn't want him to see Ali burn in the sun. Right. And so I, I am glad in just that moment when they had had looked like they had finished their prayers and he slumped to the side. I mean, I, I'm bawling because I was yeah. so sad that he died, but grateful that he didn't have to see Ali go like mm-hmm. that. I wouldn't have wished that on him at all. So if it had to happen, it I'm glad it happened that way. Yeah. And then we get Bev. Again, I can get a couple more jabs in. Uh, Bev. Horrible, terrible Bev. Um, just a perfect, wonderful end that she dies in the most fitting way for her. Alone, scared, cowardly, digging a hole in the sand to avoid the end that she deserves. Still trying to avoid it by digging mm -hmm. in the sand. Yep. Yeah. It's just, like I said, it's, it's... as much as like you feel hatred for so much, but it's like at least I can be like she's fictional, so it's okay, um, <laughs> right? But like I'm literally like as she's like setting on fire and screaming, I'm like flipping off my TV, like bye bitch, like yeah. I don't even care. Like <laughs> I, she she got what she uh, deserved. Yeah, got what she deserved. Um, and then John and Millie. Oh God! And, you know, uh, on the bridge with Sarah's body together at the end. I cried. Nothing did else you, matters. Do you see him tear off his collar? That was, that was my next note is to say that I love, like all caps, love that he takes that priest collar off and just tosses it into the water like trash. Because in that moment, that is all it is. It's useless. It's meaningless. doesn't matter. They're finally having, it's, living their moment. That Yeah. Instead of like a lifetime, they're getting this moment. They get mm-hmm. that final kiss between them. He's torn off his collar and tossed it aside, holding their daughter. Yeah. Um, that's that that's second chance. Go. It lasts moments but yeah he gets it to some degree yep uh yeah and then ed and annie in parentheses and everyone else uh (laughs) but you know they start the singing on the island as the sun is coming up which Mm -hmm. goosebumps and that is again because they're like the two who are pure in the end who resisted and i mean ollie was as well but but, you know, we get those, they had that conversation about resisting and we're not going to, we're not going to go that way. Mm-hmm. And so for them to start this singing and have all of that kind of, there's a joy, a beautiful, tragic, sad joy, which sounds contradictory, but you know, it, it is, it's there. And then it's chilling how, as they're singing and then the sun comes up and the, just <gasps> in the middle of the song, it just cuts, just silence as they're all gone. And such a Damn. poignant moment. Like, <sighs> yeah. wow. That 
they're just gone. Mm-hmm. Everyone's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Very and powerful then the moment. Last one that I have is the creature itself. Uh, mm. Warren and Lisa see the creature flying west away from the sun as they're talking about that, you know, thanks to the condition Aaron has left it in, Warren's putting it together. It's like, you know, it. I don't think it's going to be able to make it 30 miles before the sun comes up, you know, and I, I hope they're right. And I think even though it is kind of left open-ended at the very, the last line of the episode of the show is Lisa just turning to Warren and saying, I can't feel my legs. And knowing vampire lore and things that we've talked about, it's like, I'm going to believe I'm going to take the Sarah approach is like, I'm deciding that it means this. <laughs> I'm deciding that, you know, uh, that the original vampire creature is dead. The sun caught up to it. And now everything that it has created is, is gone. So that means anything that affects that it had on Lisa, however, it's, it's covered. It's over. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Mike Flanagan might have something to say about that, Mm. but um, I won't talk about it right now. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I loved all of that. And, you know, it was interesting to see the the turn of all of the Crockpots residents that were overcome by sin, and they strayed from the path of righteousness. But there in the end, mm-hmm. you know, once they realized what the hell they had just done, they were actually then looking forward to their redemption mm-hmm. um, and sacrificing themselves into the sun it's like a sheriff hassan had said to bev after she shot him was you know there's this bible passage that i like the sun will rise on evil and good alike yeah oh i love how he throws that back Mm -hmm. at her yep sheriff hassan damn it that was hard that was hard um well my number one as i mentioned um kind of just was focused solely on aaron's death speech and I wanted to kind of just talk about it because I, I found it interesting that this death speech that um, we heard was such a contrast to the one that she gave before, um, before Riley had passed and when her and mm-hmm. Riley were discussing what happens when you die. You know, her her first speech was a message of hope, sentiment that she would one day see her daughter again because you know, she had just suffered her, her miscarriage. Um, and it was a contrast to the scientific version of what Riley said. Um, and because of what she said in that first speech is maybe why you think that she just offers herself up to save people so they can escape. Um, because it would, you know, it seemed that her faith was so firm that she willingly lets the monster feed off of her. Um, because, you know, this is what she's going to look forward to, right? This is what, what she thinks um, that that's what happens when you die, that she's going to be reunited. She's going to be with her daughter again, and it's more hopeful. Um, but instead, what she actually says in this final speech, moments before her death, like she's literally slipping away. Like she's mm-hmm. just, you can, she's slowly getting closer and closer to death. She's slipping away. She's a lot more existential in her explanation. And her response basically amounts to what you said earlier. We are the cosmos dreaming of itself. Um, she speaks with certainty about life and death not mattering. We're all matter and energy, and in that shared existence, God exists, is what she's essentially saying. And I mean, I was kind of surprised to hear that from her, as it does seem to shatter any idea that she might have, that she might be reunited with her daughter. Um, yeah. But I think that 
it's a really good message. It's like, you know, what what happens when you die doesn't matter. It's what you do with your life. Yeah. That matters. It's what you're do what you're doing now and what you do with your life that matters. What happens when you die doesn't matter. Um because it's it's this and I'm like, wow, that you know, I really loved what Riley had to say um in his speech. So I'm like, gosh, do I love his more? Do I love what Aaron has to say more? I I feel like I probably just love them both equally and I feel yeah. uh, connected to both as far as like what I believe as far as, you know, we're just we're just matter. We're just energy and we're just matter. And we don't really die. We just continue on in some other form. Um, does that really mean an afterlife? I don't really think so. Um, but and, I mean, I don't know because, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, I just think that in some form we just return to the universe of which, yeah. of which we came. Um, so I, I, I like that, what she said, but I also like a lot of what Riley said, too. But I just thought it was an interesting contrast between the two, where and where she's kind of experiencing those final moments, like Riley talks about, that five minutes of, you know, this DMT rush and all these memories yeah. rushing at you all at once, and that's what we seem to be getting here. So you can yeah. kind of take that with you, you know, um, however, you, however you like. But I like those interesting contrasts that she had between that moment and in this moment when it's actually happening to her. Um, so I love that death speech. I, I didn't want to repeat it either because it's a lot and kind of long. Yeah. I thought, you know, I'm going to talk enough during this podcast. <laughs> we don't need to <laughs> a- add another monologue to it, if you will. Um, just go watch the episode or um, get the transcript. But I thought it was great. I yeah, I loved it. So, yeah. And it was hard to watch her go. Um you you talked earlier about how focused the creature was, you know, like they were like shooting at him and it, he was just like, Oh, leave me alone. Go away. Um, you know, how easily she was able to sway him, how she grabbed like the back of his head and put it back mm-hmm. to her neck to keep him focused on feeding on her. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so she could then continue to keep um, like tearing his, his wings and keep him focused on this. And um, that was, whew. I won't get that out of my head anytime soon. Right. But anyway, that's my number one. Perfect. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, what about notes? Any notes? Yeah. Um, trying to see. I know I have some. Uh, what I haven't touched on. It's always like little random things. Again, just the pandemonium of this entire like flock which flock could be double used there. They all came from the church uh, of new vampires running amok, <laughs> pulling people out of their homes, attacking, killing them, turning some, but you know, these people have no idea what's going on. Was It's, it's brutal. Uh, again, the Ollie and Ed right from the get go deciding they're not going to hurt anyone and just wander around. Um, and we've talked about Anne and Bev a little bit. I do have that one written out because uh, I love that oh, a lot. I mean, uh. how perfect was it when Bev's outside and she's like, I always found it interesting how Bev called everyone like by their first and last name. And she's like, right. Aaron Green, Aaron Green. Uh, you know, like we didn't get to finish our conversation, but Anne's like, no, I'm going to mm-hmm. go have a word with her. And I'm like, this is perfect because Anne, I feel like is also like, 
um, a good Christian where, yeah. you know, she is a good person and she, you know, loves everyone and she yeah, truly and- is like a good human. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, yeah, there is no one better to take on Bev than Anne. So, yeah, she's moment. in that what your point of like the difference between like Bev and Aaron, she's very mm-hmm. much in that camp of like Aaron too, where Absolutely. we know how devout she was. We find out in the first episode, I mean, she went to daily mass to pray for Riley while he was in jail yes. every single day every and day. she prayed for him and, and that like all she wanted when Riley came back was to get him back into the church and to get, you know, like mm-hmm. she's very devout, but then she knows what's evil when she sees it and she calls Bev out on her shit and, I love it. And then also her sacrifice here because she has that knife and Bev even says like, oh, why do you have that? You know, it can't do anything. It's, oh, it's not for you. Mm-hmm. She goes out with her with a plan and she is choosing to talk to Bev as a distraction while the rest escape and ends up even sacrificing herself as a distraction. And that and knowing that the blood that, that was mm-hmm. going to flow was going to be completely irresistible to Sturge and Bev and allow mm-hmm. them like they're going to be so like just... I got to have that blood, right? That it's going to distract yeah. them and let the others have some minutes to escape. Mm-hmm. So, so smart of her. It's, it's noble, it's that sacrifice. And then on the second watch, it makes the little moment even more heartbreaking where when she's about to head out the door and Sheriff Hassan's pushing Warren out the window and he's going, mom, mom. And he's, oh. he just turns and says, I love you. And I'm like, uh, uh, oh, no. I can't. Um, Too many tears. But yeah, but but that that little speech here is I have both of their parts, and so I'll try not to throw up while reading Bev's. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it says Anne starts. She goes, Bev, I want you to listen to me because your whole life I think you've needed to hear this. You aren't a good person. And Bev goes, Well, that was uncalled for. Which no, it was very called for, Bev. Uh, <laughs> and I think what and I think the the worst. Thing that Anne could have said to her that that would have stung more than anything else that you could have yeah. said to Bev. So right. spot on. <laughs> Anne had and and called it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then Anne says, "God doesn't love you more than anyone else. You aren't a hero, and you certainly, certainly aren't a victim." To where then again, Bev huh, comes in with, "I wouldn't lecture Annie Flynn, not until you pull the plank from your own eye, as it were." I hate to speak ill of the dead, but if Riley Flynn, a drunk and a murderer, was evidence of the quality of his parenting, to which she cuts right back into it, he was. Every part of him. God loves him. Just as much as he loves you, Bev. Why does that upset you so much? Just the idea that God loves everyone just as much as you. God, and, oh, punch your damn face. Like, do, <laughs> no. not dis- do not besmirch my Riley. Right. And uh, uh, I won't have it. I want to just punch her. Uh, Anne showed way more restraint than what I did in that oh, moment. I know. After that line, it's like, oh, because you see Bev being so hurt by saying she's not a good person. But mm-hmm. then yet she's saying that to hurt Annie. Yeah. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's trying to say the most despicable, hurtful, hurtful mm-hmm. hateful thing that she can pull out of her dark abyss of a heart. Yes. And... Yeah, it's and so even though she doesn't really react so much outside, you can tell it's it's stinging her on the inside, and those mm-hmm. words are so good. So it's like bravo, Annie, for doing what you can to put that sanctimonious cow in her place. No kidding. Like it's just ugh. And 
And then, yeah, Annie, again, just knowing that Bev and Sturge are going to give into their compulsion, stabs herself in the throat and, and lets herself bleed out, giving the others time to get away. It's uh, such an incredible moment. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, very honorable. Way to go, Annie mm-hmm. Flynn. Yeah, and then other little notes I say, I say, Uker is a shitty little racist, too. Oh, wait, I think we already knew that. Shoot him again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, they talk about Eddie and Anne, their reunion. Both chosen not to attack anyone, not drink any blood. It's hard, but they have the free will to choose. Mm-hmm. It's sad at the core, but it's also beautiful that they get to be together through all of this. Yeah. And then the last one, uh, the vampires all coming to the church after the bell rings, and they're walking through the woods down that path. Mm-hmm. And you just see their silhouettes with all the eyes glowing in the darkness. And I immediately thought of the first episode of all the cats and the uppers in the first episode and how all you saw was all these little glowing eyes surrounding the kids as they oh, walked through yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Good callback. And I was like, man, so many little details that allude to things later on in this series. That would be, f- I don't know if fun is the right word, but it would be interesting to go back and rewatch this whole thing quickly and see all of those little things and how they pay forward. Um, I was told, I, bre- I believe um, Marine Favo mentioned on our Facebook page, she said, now that you've seen episode seven, um, go back and rewatch. Um, I think the first episode uh, showing Riley's dream, it shows the church in a little bit of a different light that kind of foreshadows and tells you pretty much what's going to happen um, hmm. in here at the end. So I, 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 I vaguely remember, I mean, I remember what his dreams were, but I don't remember anything specific to the church, so I need to go back and rewatch. I This was very emotional. I don't know if I'll be able to rewatch it right away or not, but yeah. um, I, I would like to do it soon because I would like to experience it um, kind of all at once, or at least I don't know if I'll be able to get through it in a day. But, you know, watch it a little bit more closer together than we, we were doing pretty much week to week um, yeah. and, and kind of see all of that kind of come together and how it just all flowed. Mike Flanagan, you brilliant son of a bitch. Right. Yeah. So that's all the okay. notes about the episode. I did tease at the beginning. I have some information about another Mike Flanagan series oh. coming up. But I don't know if you had other notes and stuff. We'll finish up. Talk about the sh- this show first before talking about the next show. I, I have pretty much talked about all of my notes, but I do have a couple of I've got one thing from Mike Flanagan, what he says about the end. I've got a couple of like little behind the scenes um, kind of things that some folks might find interesting. Um, so I'm including that as like part of my news, if you will. So if you want to throw that in now, or if you want to wait until we get like talk about what's coming up next, it's totally fine. Um, but what, th- and this is from Mike Flanagan. I'll just tell you what he says. Um, he says, if this is a parable, talking about Midnight Mass, um, he says, if this is a parable, and it is, The angel doesn't represent vampirism or horror, but it represents a corruption in any belief system. It represents fundamentalism and fanaticism. He says, that's never going to go away, and you might chase it away from your community for a minute. You might send it uh, off into the dark and hope the sun will rise and that corrupting ideology will disappear, but it won't. And the show could never show the angel um, dying for that reason. And that last moment of the next generation of two kids looking out at the ashes of what the grown-ups made, you know, I feel like that's what my kids are going to get no matter what. That's what all of our kids are going to get. And I wish it wasn't as on fire as it is right now, but it really is. 
And we're never going to be able to explain that to them. We're never going to be able to adequately explain to our children what happened to the planet that they inherited, why their parents' generation treated each other the way that it did. We're never going to have words to articulate that. And this, for me, is my best guess. It's my best answer for them. Hmm. So he he purposely did leave it open-ended with the angel. He doesn't really fully believe that or put out there that the angel died. I think what we kind of operate under is what Sarah was talking about uh, that. And it seems kind of hard to believe if Lisa was taking communion every day, you'd think that she'd have a fairly strong concentration of the blood. But I think we're supposed to assume that it kind of phased itself out or whatever. It kind of lost its potency. And that's why she was able to feel her legs. Um, because that's what Flanagan says, at least about this. And I love what he says about, you know, what what that angel truly represents, at least for him. Um, I just had this moment like, oh, shit, that is, that's so impactful uh, to me. Um, I'd love to meet this guy in person, just the conversations right. that you could have with him. Um, Oof, so anyway, man. I thought that was very interesting mm-hmm. and uh, spot on. Yeah. Spot on, really at good. least for me. Um, a couple of behind the scenes um, items. Uh, Marine Favo was kind enough to share some uh, screenshots and she would send them just like in a, sp- you know, kind of sporadic, not to spoil, um, you know, and, and provide them too far ahead. So there's a couple of them here where uh, you, you were talking earlier about Bev and Annie's big confrontation. Um, this was actually the first thing that they filmed together. Um, Annie. Um, the actress who plays Annie said before I'd shot anything, we shot that. She says it happened right on the heels of Annie saying farewell to her only living son in the middle of these very real, insane circumstances, the weight with which I wanted to lean into. I thought that was interesting. Um, They said uh, Annabeth, Annabeth Gish felt a lot of pressure to deliver the scene when Sarah is explaining all of the medical stuff to Aaron and Mildred. This was Mm -hmm. the previous episode. Yeah. Um, she says, I have a whole bunch of medical jargon that I have to deliver that's explaining and expositional. I felt a lot of pressure to deliver that with the right tone and medical accuracy. I thought she did a spot on job, right? Um, Perfect. Um, And then I thought one other that was uh, interesting because I, you and I both talked about that scene and an impact that it made on us was a scene that um, of Riley and Ed on the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently this is one of the scenes that Zach Guilford, my QB1, um, is most <laughs> proud of. Um, he said he knew they did a good job when the crew remarked on how great it was. And this is what nice. he says. He says, there were plans of having this huge crane on another boat, but we're on the water in the middle of the ocean. So the cranes couldn't get a shot. Uh, Mike was like, all right, just get rid of that. We'll just have one camera on the boat with someone holding it. He says, after we did it, and this is what I always feel like is a good sign of a good scene, is when your crew comments on it. He said, our focus puller goes, that was really cool. And then our cameraman goes, it's like the awkward conversation we all wish we could have with our father. It made me realize we did a good job. So I like that. I love that that scene. I did too. So that was great. So... That was all, if you want to call that kind of news or a little bit of follow-up to some of the season, there's a lot of articles and and things out there. You want to go read them about the finale and 
you know, interviews with Mike Fling, and he says, I, I read several of them, and he says essentially the same thing, uh, pretty much in every article, no matter what they ask him. <laughs> so I'm not going to put them all here, but um, a lot of great things out there. Um, I'm going to continue reading up on it, too, because there's a lot of great yeah. um, articles with um, Zach Guilford, and I read one um, with Hamish Linklater, um, The Hot Priest. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of good ones out there. So, anyway... All right. Um, Well, we've got a lot of listener feedback. We're probably going to be here the rest of the evening with (laughs) the amount of feedback that we got, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I think I I might go into that other thing first real quick. Okay. Yes. Let's hear. I don't know when it comes out. Let's hear your news. Who knows when we'll get to it. You you teased me. Now I've got to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if you'd looked into, if you'd seen it at all, because I didn't even know about it until just like a couple days ago. But, uh, because we talked about the fall of the house of usher Mm -hmm. before which is the edgar Allan poe adaptation but i did not realize i was going to imdb and looking at just like mike flanagan stuff just to kind of make sure i've seen all of his movies or what shows and stuff upcoming things Mm -hmm. and there are two series that he's working on at the same time and both are slated for 2022 releases so the fall of the house usher is one and then the other one is called the midnight club i did hear about that so I don't know if it could really can be considered spoilery because the show hasn't come out yet. So it's, but the synopsis for what the show is about, because maybe some people want to go in, you know, completely blind on something Mike Flanagan, but so skip ahead just a little bit if you don't want to hear it. But the quick synopsis is a group of terminally ill teenage patients reside at Rotterdam home and together they create the midnight club. They meet in secret at midnight to tell horror stories together. The group forms a pact that whoever dies first would make the effort to contact the rest of the Midnight Club members from beyond the grave. Ooh. And I'm the cast so far that I've seen on it is, because, you know, with his haunting stuff, he had a lot of the same actors in Hill House and mm-hmm. Bly Manor and stuff. This one is Midnight, uh, Midnight Mass and Midnight Club. Um, he's using a lot of Midnight Mass actors in the cast of this one. So we get uh, Samantha Sloyan, who is Bev Keen, mm-hmm. Zach Guilford, Riley Flynn. Uh, Igby Rigney, who's Warren Flynn, Matt Bedell, which was Sturge, uh, Anara Simone, Lisa, Crystal Balent, which was Dolly Scarborough, Lisa's mother, and then Robert Longstreet, Joe Colley. (gasps) So, I love him. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I did hear about that. I didn't get a chance to read up on it, so I I appreciate like hearing what it was about, but I, I remember. It was just I'm like why why haven't I heard of this yet like the right. ha- the fall of the house of usher I, I feel like oh that got some news and I think I posted about it on the page like in excitement thinking hell yeah more Mike Flanagan we're definitely going to cover that um, I'm intrigued big Poe fan uh, just saw a tiny little blurb about that because and I think it was in one yeah. of the interviews um, because uh, talking about one of the it might have been um, Zach Guilford um, a little note that said oh and he's also in. Uh, one of another one of Mike Flanagan's works called Midnight Club, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what? Yeah. Why am I? What is this?" Now, because I was so into the prep and everything else that I was doing with the, with the podcast, I did not go look it up. So I'm so glad mm-hmm. that you did. Yes, because so we have double dose of Flanagan series and goodness coming up in the <sighs> near future. Still, so much we get to cover on here because I'm already like, Let's yeah, hope I'm, they we're, stagger. We're covering Flanagan stuff. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they stagger the releases so we've got we don't right. have to think about and making a choice of what to cover because I want to cover all of it. 
So I hope y'all are are loving the Flanagan because it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, we we very much so love it here. Yeah, sorry. Stephen King, Mike Flanagan, we worship at the altar of. Yes. Um, That's fabulous. Thank you for that. I'm intrigued. Hmm. Good cast. Um, Okay, well, let's dig into this feedback. Uh, We got a lot of it, and I'm really interested to hear what our listeners had to say about the finale. Um, There might also be, um, I'm not sure, we might have a voicemail or something for episode six, because we know we kind of threw everyone for a little bit of a loop, releasing that as quickly as what we did. Um, So we want to try and include all of that. Um, All right, first one is from our friend Kelly Burgess. She says, that was a rough ride. So many emotions throughout. By the end, I just feel empty inside, but in a good way. I don't envy you guys having to break it all down, but I can't wait to listen to it. I feel like in this series, Flanagan took me right back through my own personal journey with religion and faith and left me just as confused, or more so, than ever. Such a powerful show, and I'm glad that I went on this ride with you guys. Aw, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for being on this ride with us. Yeah. All right, this one comes from Don Elizabeth says, wow, that was a lot. I have to say that it ended the way that I thought it would, except for that damn Bev. She deserved a much more horrible death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed Anne telling her off by asking why she thought that God favored her more than anyone else. You could see on Bev's face that she was taken aback by Anne's words. I never really had any feelings for Anne. She seemed like a background character to me, but that final scene with her before her first death was awesome. I had hoped that by slitting her own throat, she wasn't going to come back. I agree with Sturge. Why did she do that? Buying time for everyone else? I'd wondered if Millie would hang on to her humanity and kill Paul slash John, but there at the end, he did redeem himself somewhat. I wonder what kind of a man the Monsignor was as an older priest. We never got to see him giving sermons, but I like to believe that what we saw of him as a young Father Paul was how he was as an older man. I hope that makes sense. Aaron, OMG, when she appeared talking with Riley while she was dying, I just bawled. I love what she said about death. I need to watch it again and write down everything she said. And Ali coming and helping his dad at the end. And Ed and Anne holding on to their humanity even while they were hungry. And Sarah spitting out the blood so she wouldn't be reborn. I kept hoping that if the angel died, everyone who partook of the blood would as well. So when Lisa lost the feeling in her legs, I think it must have burnt up. Mike Flanagan has hit another one out of the park. Thanks, Rima and Paik. You've done a great job with this one. Every time I finish listening to your podcast, I wish it was twice as long. I look forward to continuing on to Lock and Key, you, and Mike Flanagan's next one as well. Edit, I wanted to add that it was an interesting turn that Father Paul did what he did because of his love for Millie. It didn't work out all that well for anyone, but it does make it seem that he did it out of love. Oh, thanks, Don. That was some really kind words and great insight, um, as always. Mm -hmm. Um, Twice as long. Man, we go nearly two hours. Uh, Right. (laughs) That's... I don't know. One day, maybe we'll get there. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Thanks. One of these, one of these Mike Flanagan shows, we're just going to be like, yep, four hour episodes every week. <laughs> yep. That, oh, God, uh, that sounds like an editing nightmare to me. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never get this, get, get the episode out. Um, thank you, Don. Uh, next one we mm-hmm. have is from Maureen Favo. Um, she says, uh, comments that this uh, section here was posted prior to the episode one podcast. She says, what an amazing ride. Visually amazing. Incredible performances. Nice, balanced touch. We'll add more when finished processing. So after her processing, she says, after further consideration, um, she liked people keeping part of their core, thought Lisa's parents spending all their time focused on Lisa, a great illustration of their lives. 
think that ending was perfect, and I'm going to believe the angel crashed and burned if Lisa lost feelings in her legs. Last thought, so hard to imagine the island burning at conclusion is the same island we were introduced with a teenager riding their bike to Neil Diamond on the way to buy weed from a guy named Bowl. Man, that that got me. I like that. Yeah. I mean, such a, a contrast, right? Yeah. Wow. Thank you for pointing that out. And that, out. that same teenager on his bike was the one sitting in a boat watching it all burn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where we started and where we ended up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That was fantastic. And thanks again for those screenshots yeah. and things that you, um, insight you provided along the way yeah. for this. Appreciate it. All right, we've got some email as well, a bunch of emails. This first one is Lara, says, I hope to send a voice message, but these last two episodes, it would just have been a rambling mess of superlatives and criticisms, but mainly positive. Props to you, Raymond Paik, for the ability to talk over this series, because this stuff is heavy. This ending gave me the painful sobs, you know, the kind that constrict your chest and tighten your throat? That's only happened to me twice before, from a TV show or film, My Girl and Grave of the Fireflies, if you were wondering. But I'm glad I watched the last two episodes back-to-back, and here's why. Episode 6 had me torn. As a longtime vampire and horror movie lover, I finally got my wish, as this episode was filled with the tension, terror, and bloodletting that the series had been hinting at in true Flanagan style. But also, and I don't often discuss my beliefs, as someone who was baptized during a candlelit Easter vigil, I found it to be one of the most beautiful ceremonies I've ever seen, and I've attended other Jewish, Buddhist, and Orthodox ceremonies, it saddened me to watch the show take something so inspiring and special to so many and turn it into something brutal and ugly. I realized because of the plot that this was not a true Easter vigil, but I'm able to watch entertainment with a certain level of deta- detachment. But to me, it felt like Flanagan was taking shots at an easy target. But then we got episode seven, and this made me feel better. As wrong and twisted as it sounds. Again, we got our full-blown vampire action. The glowing eyes of the resurrected was so creepy, and Bev releasing the undead to ravage the rest of the town was maniacal in the worst way. The townies turning into killers had me losing hope, but those last 15 minutes brought it back around again. And seeing Father Paul finally confess his own pride and human faults as the reason for his actions, not his desire to help his community, and seeing Ali self-sacrifice by torching the rec center and and protecting his father, as well as the sacrifices of our remaining survivors in order to help others they'll never meet. In seeing Millie and the father, Paul, carry their daughter away and accept their own demise. In seeing the congregation turn to each other for forgiveness. In that final scene, where we see each other coming to peace with their own beliefs, the town, Ali and Hassan and Aaron, was heartbreaking yet beautiful. And of course, even in the end, Bev, whose true god is power and superiority, is nothing more than a cowardly bottom feeder. I'm glad Annie Flynn laid out some true meaning of the word to her. She is truly the Professor Umbridge to Crockett Island's Voldemort. You're welcome, Harry Potter fans. (laughs) Final thoughts. This really was an amazing series, beautifully shot with dynamic performances all around and full of deeply moving discussions on so many hot topics, all wrapped up in a vampire story. Ha, yes, I said the V word. (laughs) (laughs) For that, Mike Flanagan has all my respect. I think no matter what your beliefs, there is a character who spoke for you and in the end... It was really our shared humanity that brought strength to the citizens of Crockett Island. Can't wait to see what the flamily, Mike Siegel's term for his cater of recurring performers, does with the legendary House of Usher. Cheers, Laura. Oh, that was lovely. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Laura. Really so insightful, as always. Thanks for sharing um, part of your story there. Yeah. And a little bit about you. Appreciate that. All right, next email we have is from Claire. 
um, says, loving the podcast. I've just rewatched the finale and had to get some thoughts and feelings out. Yes, Annie, looking Bev right in the eye and calmly telling her God doesn't love you more than anyone else, cutting right to the truth of why Bev is the absolute worst. Her treatment of Howard later on had me throwing things at the TV. <laughs> Annie's love for Riley in that moment was so touching. The depictions of faith in this episode were incredibly moving. Annie and Ed's serenity, Ollie and the sheriff praying on the beach. In contrast, Bev screaming in defiance. As an atheist, this is the first show I've seen that's given me a real insight into the comfort and prayer, having faith in the peace that can come with that. I'd be so interested in knowing how a viewer with faith felt about this episode. I also loved that it wasn't clear-cut between good and evil. Sturge finding redemption and forgiveness at the end by looking after others. Paul, Millie, and Sarah on the bridge. Oh, Aaron, the very definition of faith and courage. The speech at the end and her performance was spectacular. I very much hope it's true. What a show. What a podcast. It's been a blast, Claire. P.S. May we all find someone who looks at us in the same way that Riley looks at Aaron when they're sitting together in that sofa. Oh. True. <laughs> True that, Claire. Oh my God, yes. I'm going to make a screenshot of that and um, have it as my background on my phone. Because, <laughs> yes, that is what we all, that's what we all deserve. Right, Claire? Right. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for writing in. Um, yeah, really appreciate, appreciate that. All right. This one comes from Catherine, says, I'm not sure I'll get this in in time before you guys do the last episode, but I was waiting till the last one to write in because I had binged the show in one day. I'm obsessed with Mike Flanagan and wanted more and came across your podcast and have since listened to many of your episodes. Holy shit, how does Mike Flanagan get me in the feels in everything he does? Kills the first and one of the main characters halfway through the season, kills everyone except two characters, and gets away with it. I cried several times throughout the show and was mind blown a lot, and you guys pick up on things much quicker than I do. Fun fact, I heard an interview with Mike Flanagan, and he said he did some of the singing in the last episode. Also, I've heard they don't use the word vampire in the show because they think it will then become the villain, and they wanted this, that to stay focused on Bev. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> she goes on to say, also, I heard one of you say about the Twilight meme. I couldn't find it, so I made my own and attached to send to friends and family who have watched to get a good laugh. Loving the show, XOXO, cat. Oh, yep. And she, um, obviously no one can see it as we're podcasting on it, but she did send um, a Twilight meme of, um, you know, uh, Edward telling Bella, say it, (laughs) say it out loud. Um, (laughs) Gave me a giggle. Thank you, Kat. Thoughtful. All right. Next email we have is from Fran. She says, greetings. Well, there you have it. Trial by fire. Only one way to get purged of the wretched curse. I hoped for something redeeming as the show came to a close, and I was pleased in what I saw. They had to realize the evil upon them. They had to find forgiveness in themselves and with one another. Except for Bev, I think all of them realized the sacrifice it would take, even ultimately to keep it from spreading. To see the Monsignor realize his error, I don't think he needed to toss his collar, but we understood his humanity in that moment, all that it cost him. I loved how they sang to the Lord at the end. They didn't lose their faith. They didn't choose to turn their back on God. They faced the light. Um, Though Aaron, it seemed, went the way of the cosmos. And I loved how the sheriff and his son worshipped according to their faith together, facing death together. Very powerful. I dug at how Bev, the wicked uh, Pharisee she was, wound up having the very scriptures she used turned against her. 
You saw how she couldn't sing with them at the end because she never had the truth of the words she proclaimed in her heart. And like a coward, she scrambled to try and bury herself. Too late, Bev. Too late. So did the creature get away? Not sure. And how do the two kids go on from there? Anyone feeling a season two? Well, Mike the writer, he may come up with something. Certainly he left us with a lot to feel and talk about. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Fran in New York. Thanks, awesome. Fran. Um, Thank you so much. I don't think there's going to be a season two. I think he's pretty much said that he doesn't feel there's anything left to say at this right. point. So I don't see a season two, at least for Midnight Mass. However, it sounds like we do have plenty of more Mike Flanagan to look forward to. Yeah. So if you are a... So excited. My, oh my gosh, I am too. If you're a Mike Flanagan fan, just stick around. Um, sounds like they're happy to keep him keep him around. Yeah. All right. Well, he's done big things because I think, I mean, all like Hill House, Bly Manor, and now Midnight Mass have all done just tremendous numbers for Netflix every time they come out. Like it really gets things churning. Yeah. So he's <laughs> he's a gold mine for sure. <laughs> he definitely is. He definitely is for sure. Um, okay. Well, we got a handful of voicemails as well. So excited to see um, what some folks have to say. Uh, first one we have is from our good friend. Greg. Oh, Millie. Millie's definitely got some uh, some Walking Dead dead shot sights. Uh, she really nailed Father Paul uh, where it counted. Uh, unfortunately, she also created a power vacuum, and Bev was more than willing to go ahead and just uh, decide what was best for for the community on her own. Don't get me wrong. This is after she's in the process of poisoning literally everybody possible. And if they aren't poisoned, they get eaten. And if they get eaten, they die and come back as vampires anyway. I didn't really... So anybody who's taken communion and has any vampire blood in them, excuse me, angel blood in them, is coming back to feed on more... So that's what I don't really get is if they're feeding on people who are part vampire, is that sustaining them? Are they just share? Are they, there's not going to be any food left because everybody is going to be a vampire and, excuse me, an angel. And I don't really. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, if you haven't gotten it yet, this is Greg. Uh, and I know I missed the deadline uh, for episode six, but uh, I figured I'd leave this before I live, watched episode seven. All right, look forward to hearing it. Bye. Yep, that was for six. Oh, gosh, Greg, mm-hmm. I don't see anything for seven. So thank you so much. That was um, insightful. Well, they were going to go to the mainland for food. So yeah. thanks, Greg. All right, our next voicemail is from A.E., Hello, this is A.E. Marling. I believe Midnight Mass avoids naming vampires as such to de-emphasize the supernatural horror in favor of the horror of religious extremism, which is all too natural. I used to live a few blocks away from the Jonestown Memorial in Oakland. It's hundreds of knaves carved on four dark slabs set into the ground, like four graves filled with lies. The memorial disturbed me even more because I could see reflections of that tragedy, yes, in Midnight Mass, but also in current events. 
At the end of Midnight Mass, we also see the beauty of religion, with the townsfolk coming together to sing moments before the dawn's incineration. If Mike Flanagan had concluded there, he could have amplified a ringing note left unsung because of that tragedy. It would have been a powerful ending, but instead Flanagan chose another, and that's what interests me. Why do you think the last line of Midnight Mass is, I can't feel my legs? I have a few guesses. The line implies that the powers of healing were reversed, likely because the angel has died. If that's true, then if they had killed the angel first, everyone might have reverted to human. The doomed town could have been saved. It also suggests to me that the doctor's theory was wrong, that the vampirism was more magic-based than viral. I would love to hear your theories. Uh, oh, Rima asked about my writing. I wrote the flavor text of the magic card Street Riot, among others. I've also penned a few dark fantasy novels, which you can find online under my name. Oh, thank nice. you. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, man. What great insight yeah. and what a great voice. I know. Oh, his like emails are always great to read and it's but then hearing his voice is like oh he's just everything is just poetic and beautiful and amazing i know <laughs> from now on when you write in i'm going to be hearing it in your voice how wonderful mm-hmm. thank you so much that was so interesting and insightful especially about having lived close to the jonestown memorial my gosh yeah um Wow, thank you so much, A.E., for that voicemail and for letting me know where I can find some of your works. Yeah. All right. Next voicemail we have is from our good friend and Paik's other podcast co-host, Daphne. Hi, Reman Paik. This is my feedback for Midnight Mass, the final episode, as well as the whole series as a whole. One thing I wanted to point out is I recently rewatched Mike Flanagan's 2016 film, Hush!, And I had forgotten that the character Maddie Young had um, published her first um, book called Midnight Mass. So I I thought that was a clever tie-in. Anyway, I think overall Mike Flanagan's had us on a wild and terrifying ride. The Monsignor had the best of intentions, but of course it went wrong. And he did have some stipulations, which Sarah ignored, basically. She was really great at tying everything to the Bible. She didn't want to listen to him as far as not letting everyone out of the church until they understood what was going on within themselves, because we saw what happened in the church when they got thirsty for communion and started feeding on everyone else. I really appreciated that Ed and Annie kept enough of their humanity to not feed on the others, to be able to lead everyone to the end. Um, I feel like that was really true to who they were as people, um, especially as the story evolved. One of the sad things that I saw, it was pretty devastating to see Hassan as Ali was drinking the poison. He was so desperate. I think Rahul Cooley, he's done a great job with his accent in this series. It was interesting to see there were a few that did not drink the poison who were taken out in the end by the feeding frenzy. So much of this reminded me of 30 Days of Night cutting off the town from communication, sending the fairies away, damaging the boats, then the door-to-door feeding frenzy and the town burning. If you look at it, the town is basically disappearing with only Warren and Lisa being the only ones left as a reminder that Crockett Island even had a community. It's very reminiscent of the abandoned Roanoke colony 
If you've ever read anything up on that, it's that's a really interesting story. Lots of questions. They did a wonderful job preserving some of the vampire lore, especially with the typical aversion to sunlight. I appreciate um, also how they used the reflective eyes to show who was a vampire in the dark. Overall, I think it was a fantastic series, and kudos to Rima for figuring out the vampirism from nearly the start. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> Excited for your lock and key coverage. That's it. Thanks. Thanks. Vampire is kind of my jam, yeah. so maybe that's why I just had an <laughs> inkling for it. Thanks so much for um, uh, mentioning Roanoke because I had that. Yeah. Again, I knew I wasn't going to be able to talk about everything um, and I would forget something because I always forget to write something down. I thought about that too. I was like, is anybody going to just sit here and think about what the hell happened to Crockett Island? Like, Happen to all the people? I mean, I know Warren and Lisa survived, but are they just are, are they actually going to go spread the word and tell people what happened, or are they just going to quietly go mm-hmm. off and live their lives and just not talk about what happened? And then people are going to be like, "What the hell happened to these people? Is it like a Roanoke? I mean, there's no bodies, right? They've all yeah. burned to ash. Uh, the place is all in flames, or, or what's left of them. Um, yeah, and I had those things. I was like, oh, it's like Roanoke." All over again. Mm-hmm. Just people just gone. A whole community just, disappeared. Just gone. Because you think with Lauren and Lisa, yeah, like, you could tell people what happened, but then it's kind of like with Aaron telling Sarah last episode or whatever. It's just like, you're going to think I'm crazy. I kind of think I'm crazy. Did this really happen? Yep. Um, okay. Thank you, Daphne, so much. Always great to hear from you. Um, we do have one final voicemail from... Our good friend, Steve. Let's see what he has to say about the finale. All right, here we go. Um, Rima and Pake, episode seven. Is this Bev? Is this young Bev waking up? Well, that kind of destroys the whole they can't enter unless you invite them theory. That's not true. <laughs> oh, no, this is this is Bev here outside the house. So I don't, maybe that was the young Millie? I'm not sure who that was who woke up and went in to see the Monsignor. Wooden steak, Aaron. Take a wooden steak with you. That was uncalled for. <laughs> oh, I just knew she was going to do something like that, cut her own throat. This is gruesome. Sturge and Bev lumping up the in the dirt. Oh, well, well, that clears it up. He just admitted 100% Sarah is their daughter. And that's Millie, young Millie. She's hot. Okay, firing a gun might not have been the best choice there, Sheriff. Oh, that's a good idea. They're going to burn the boats so that nobody can leave the island. Hopefully the kids made it to something. Well, I guess Sarah decided they did, so they did. Oh, no. They found the nest of this thing. That's that's almost funny. He just, like, batting them away, like, go away, just shoe fly. Shoo, you don't <laughs> bother me. Is she going to change clothes or is she going to walk around that bloody white dress through the whole thing? Oh, how quickly they turn on you, Father Paul, John, Monsignor Pruitt. You, uh, it's a little late, but at least you're coming around. Wow, I'm I'm getting choked up here. This scene. Oh my God, Sturge just shot her? Oh, I was getting choked up over that scene between Father Paul and... And Sarah and Sturge just shot her. 
But where's Sarah? Wow, Bev. Racist till the end. Oh, how fitting. The sheriff's son is going to be the one to burn the building down. No. Nice. Of course, I don't like what happened to just happened to Sarah, but... Oh, okay, I understand. That's why she was cutting his wings so he couldn't fly away from the sunrise because there's nowhere for him to go. Oh, she's having this memory of her and Riley, and in the background, Were You There is playing. Oh. At least he appears he died before he has to see his son burn up. So that's something, I guess. All right. Well, that's all for Midnight Mass. That. It's another just incredible installment of live steaming. I always love it so, so much. So great. Thanks. Gosh, hearing his reaction to and, and he, knowing he was getting all choked up in that moment with um, John and Sarah. And, yeah. I, I, and then just the sheer surprise of the gunshot, like catching that moment on recording audio recording that was that was cool that was because I, I thought yep that's pretty much my reaction to i was getting choked up during that scene thinking oh man what a precious moment here and then all of a sudden how brutal boom mm-hmm. gunshot out of nowhere and she shot yeah i'm with you steve i sympathize with you in that moment that was rough um thank you so much that was fantastic um as always we actually just got, literally, as I'm going through and playing these voicemails, we literally just got a last-minute submission um, for for email feedback for episode seven. So I'll read it really quickly. It's from our good friend right. Jerry. So I'm just, I know we're going a little bit out of, out of order, but I always say if you if you give it to me, I'm going to read it. And even as it comes in, as we're literally podcasting in the moment. Um, <laughs> so this is from our good friend Jerry. He says, "Hi, Rima and Pake." Well, here we are, the final episode. Too many things made me sad here. So much death. Bev fucked everyone over. By burning the entire place down, she eliminated any possibility of shielding themselves from the sunlight. She deserved to be screaming in fear of the sunlight while frantically digging for shelter. Nice going, Bev. See you next Tuesday. Aaron was smart (laughs) in her sacrifice to cut up the wings of the angel while being fed upon, to make sure it was damaged enough not to be able to fly to shelter. The silencing of the townspeople being cut off when singing Near My God to Thee when the sunlight hit, that was just so disheartening. They had no chance, thanks to Bev. Again, thanks, Bev. All in all, a great series. Thanks, Mike Flanagan. Well done. Thanks, Paik and Rima, for the great coverage of a great show. See you on the next one, Jerry. Jerry, you just, you literally made it just in time mm-hmm. there, my friend. <laughs> I apologize if um, you didn't get it in time. Um, I would still be very interested to hear um, what what you have to say about it. And thank you so much, everyone. We've had some incredible and overwhelming um, feedback from everyone on the series. Yeah. And it's greatly appreciated. Thank you. So next on Strange Indeed, um, if you guys haven't already noticed, we have already started our coverage of um, season two of Locking Key before we've been able to wrap up Midnight Mass here. Gosh, with crazy schedules, Uh so many podcasts and so many shows to cover, spread a little thin here. So next, what you'll you'll, um, have coming up is um, episode two of season two of Lock and Key called The Head and the Heart, but also coming soon, the Dexter revival, Dexter New Blood. So be looking for that. That's coming soon. Uh, that comes out um, November the 7th, I believe. Um, pretty sure it's going to be released mm-hmm. weekly, if I had to guess. Typically, those HBO Showtime shows are typically weekly. So y'all are stuck yeah. with the rest of us. 
on this end. So, yeah, I hope you join us for Lock and Key. Jason is joining us um, for that coverage as well. We're having a great time with this season so far. Um, so hope you join us for that. And hope you to hope to also see everyone around for Dexter. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are excited that you followed us to the Crockpot. Uh, we ask that you also follow us on Twitter at StrangeTCast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash StrangerTCast. And you can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at Podcastica.com. And go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you check out Paik and Daphne on their podcast called Run For Your Lives. Paik, I keep asking you for teases. We've had like three <laughs> podcasts in one week. Um, right. I don't know if you have anything new that you want to share or not, but... Um, <laughs> the same as uh, yesterday when we recorded Lock and Key. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, again, Halloween is this weekend, so we are covering Halloween Kills as our Halloween special. So if you have seen that, checked it out. Then uh, hit us up over on Run For Your Lives for some feedback on that. Let us know what you thought of that. I don't think we can say it enough that it's almost Halloween. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> my favorite uh, holiday. So yes. excited for that. Well, that's excellent. Um, I can't wait. I still need uh, need to watch the movie. I haven't had a chance because we've had all of this happening. So I'm looking forward to that and checking out you guys. That's awesome. All right. That is our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Rima. And Claire Ireland is strange indeed. Hey everyone, welcome to our bonus segment dedicated to the Great British Baking Show. This week we're covering Collection 9, Episode 5, and German Week. Welcome! Was that, was that in German? Was that? <laughs> German Week. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> oh, needed that little giggle. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, okay, so <clears throat> I'll admit I was slightly surprised by the turnout, but it was a I thought a fun, interesting, um, like challenge by challenge to see <clears throat> who was going to come out on top. What did you guys think this week? German week. Yeah, it was one of those weeks where I thought it could have been somebody else on top and even on the bottom, too. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. so sure I totally agree with the judges. I mean, it's mm -hmm. close call, so yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. What about you, Paik? I was, I mean, there's the, you know, easy way of going about it. Kind of even, you know, the judges and everybody else was like, oh, well, everyone's expecting Jurgen to just rock this thing. And because mm -hmm. that's what I think is even funny is Matt at the beginning even kind of jokes like so you know i can go ahead and, and announce that our star baker will be jurgen <laughs> <laughs> I feel and like you last week you up a little bit well it was a, a lot of pressure and you he seemed like under pressure too yeah, he was, yeah. but it, last week you joked that he was going to be like this is not german and he kind of did he's he like we did never have a three-tier yeah. <laughs> like, i love how he's so like um, he can be just so um, what am I trying to, to say? Uh, a little dry, where he's like... Matter of fact. Yeah, of. very yeah. much like, well, first off, we would not stack our yeasted cakes, you know? Like, <laughs> right. And, and, and Paul apologized. Like, he's Sorry. all anglicized it. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was schooling them on the proper um, German presentation for some of these. Mm -hmm. um, and I love it that they were all coming to him like, 
like Amanda kept like looking behind her because he was um, right behind her and like how how do we say that again and. <laughs> And he'd just See what Jurgen's doing and then copy that. Exactly. I think that Prince would be Regentorta. Yeah. Prince Regentorta. <laughs> Prince Regentorta. I think Something. I'm going to master that I by the like end of like Prince Regent cake. <laughs> yeah, Prince Regent <laughs> cake. <laughs> I'll go with that. It's easier to say. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But I thought, I was like, that's a fun word. I don't know, just something fun about mm-hmm. it. Fun word. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's start then with our favorite bakes. So um, for the signature, they had to um, prepare 24 German biscuits. The technical was the Prince Regent cake or the Prince Regenten, Regenten torta. <laughs> and then the showstopper <laughs> was a yeast leavened cake. So mm. anyone have a favorite bake that, that stands out on top? You can always mention maybe some honorable mentions, but was there anything out of those challenges that stood out to you the most um, that either appealed to you the most or aesthetically pleasing, tasty, all of the above? Uh, the one I liked the look of and it ended up being good was well the, i like the german biscuits were kind of christmasy and all about making them look ornate and stuff but mm-hmm. jürgen's horns that were half like chocolate looking and uh-huh. it smelled of coffee and, coffee and uh chocolate, prue said that's the crumbliest butteriest biscuit i think i've ever eaten it's just perfect i think he got the handshake for it too that that was probably the one that i was the most like oh man i wish i could have one of those right now yeah yeah. Yeah. That's Out of the, feeling. so good. The white and dark chocolate coffee. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other one, because they had the two cookies they had to do. And the other ones, he did like these star shaped ones and he flavored it with Earl Grey tea, which is my favorite tea. I was actually drinking a cup of Earl Grey while watching <laughs> the episode. And nice. I was like, ooh, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Ted Lasso would not be proud. No. No. <laughs> but yeah, and that's what got him his handshake. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look good they look cool i mean they look beautiful they do they were beautiful and and jürgen is always very precise you know he's always Mm -hmm. very measured and very careful um yeah it's definitely his his engineering background but um it's he just always does a superb job with his presentation and how they come out um Mm -hmm. gosh you know i i didn't really i mean it's fine shortbread is fine but it's just not i don't know i'm not a fan of a lot it. of those biscuits. <laughs> I love it too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they're probably Crumbly good. And buttery. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it, it's all subjective, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's it's not like I dislike them. They're just not like something. My you don't like candy corn either, so to. can't. can't be <laughs> you know what? About Look, we're not we're not going there. We're, gonna, we're not going there. No, okay. we're not doing a candy corn. We don't have that kind we'll of time. That. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I want everyone. Let to me tell you about the history of candy corn. No. <laughs> everyone to remain friends uh, during this podcast. So we're not having a candy corn discussion. Um, no, it's not that terrible. It's just not my favorite. That's for sure. Um, no, I'm sure they're fine. It's just not what I would reach for. Like if you had all of these in front of me, it's not what I would go for. It wouldn't be my first choice. Um, I actually loved the technical challenge. I mean, that um, cake that they made, it was mm-hmm. not only – it reminded me – it looked almost exactly except my mine was a crepe cake. So my layers were actual crepes, so they were like super thin. But that is like exactly how I made the chocolate crepe cake I made one year for my yeah. daughter's birthday. Um, and it is so good. Just those layers of sponge and chocolate and then a beautiful chocolate ganache um, spread on top. I mean, give me that. 
Um, right. That, like that, that, was that, <laughs> that I don't even care how messed up it was. Underbaked, I'll eat it. You know, yeah. white cream, chocolate cream, I don't care. <laughs> I'll, I'll eat it. So the, I, I would have to say I'd go for a technical um, challenge yeah, that's, that they did. That's kind of like my joke favorite bake was I was like uh, Prue's Prince Regent Cake. Uh, it was like, you know, the, one, the example one that they eat as <laughs> yeah. they're about right. to. I was like, that's, that's the always one I the want. Best one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one that I want. Can that's I pick that as bake? Like. I, don't, I, I wonder if they've ever had like one of the ones that the bakers made be better than the example Maybe, but it doesn't ever seem like it because yeah. that they have always all the time looks so good. On those. Yeah, say, and they got yeah. an expert making it. Yeah, exactly. But if I have to pick like a baker's bake, going back to the signature, just because I had the most fun with uh, was Lizzie's. I was like, yes, embrace your wackiness, Lizzie, because she's like uh, her uh, the cheeky boy cookie, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. which she turned into cheeky girls with the little <laughs> lipstick and the eyelashes and stuff like that. I thought it was adorable. And like it was like a cinnamon apple flavor, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm all about that." Paul I really think. liked them too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he gave her a few recommendations, but you know, he's like, "Otherwise, you'd be getting a handshake right now." So she's like, "Oh, if yeah. I did well, the exact opposite, if I did of everything I did, differently. Right, if I did yeah. everything differently, I'd be getting a handshake." And he's like, "Yep." Exactly. <laughs> but you know, he he did really love it, and and that's what I liked about Lizzie. I also liked her uh, cheeky boy or cheeky girl um, cookies. While you know, I'm not a huge fan of like the shortbread. I like it okay, it's fine. But um, at least for presentation wise, and I think for just fun, um, I liked how she brought that side out of her too. Um, and I have to say, I think Lizzie, you know, it's fun to see uh, in Bake Off some bakers, you know, because I, I felt Lizzie had, in my opinion anyway, a little bit of a shaky start. Like I wasn't sure about her, mm-hmm. but I think she's almost the most improved, at least that we've seen so far of the remaining bakers, in my opinion, I feel like everyone's, I think Chiggs has kind of come up a little bit. We've gotten to see a little bit more of him and he's really kind of come up a little bit, but I think um, Lizzie has really taken in the feedback that she's gotten. I think she's learned a little bit um, and I think she's improved a lot. So I think she's, Got to kind of watch for her a little I bit. I think she has too, but I don't think she's going to win because yeah, her I stuff mean. is it's wacky, but it's not as precise as the two engineers. And yeah, it oh yeah, you know it, it's kind of gaudy <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> I think it's cool, like it's fine, but it's not as beautiful. You know, it's yeah, mm-hmm. like her showstopper last week was like busy, busy. Yeah, yeah. and it was like that green, <laughs> like Paul's all yeah. that green. <laughs> it looked like. Right, you know, like a little kid's kind of yeah. thing or something. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that she'll win or anything, especially when you're you're talking. You know, going up against because I think, gosh, I that sounds risky to talk anything about predictions, but I feel like we're looking at Giuseppe and Jurgen probably at least in the finals, and I'd be surprised if something else happened other than that. I don't think she'll yeah. make it that far, but I do think that she has definitely improved since we saw her day one. She's really taking in you know some of that input she's still kind of holding to her 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 style and and her aesthetic but yet she's making improvements um because she wants to she wants to stay so i think she's she's fun okay any other favorite bakes that stood out to you any showstoppers that uh looked the most appealing to either of you i mean the whole idea of a yeast leaven cake sounded really interesting to me they said it, it it's best when it has the stretchiness of bread but it's still cake like because you can if you i think if you over knead it it can just be like bread which is i think why Jurgen didn't win because the it french was slapped. not airy enough yeah yeah the french <laughs> slap did him in do yeah. the german slap not the french slap but um anyway it was it's an interesting idea and i'd like to try it just to 
see what it's like. It was done well. But anyway, the one of those that I thought looked the greatest and also probably the tastiest was Christelle's Bavarian brioche mm-hmm. with like yes. three big, almost like bagel sandwiches with those roses coming down the side. Yeah. It just looked really good. That was my yeah. favorite. It's, it's funny because those were the two that I, I picked also. <laughs> Jurgen's again, and it might have been what made it a little extra like bready with also him using beer as a main mm-hmm. thing because beer is just wheat kind of for the most part. You're typical. And so that's just adding extra yeast already to what you're using. So I could see how that could have affected it. Of course, mm-hmm. the flavor. I'm like, yeah, beer I'm in now. Apricot, I'm out. Uh, that's like the <laughs> only, like one of the very few things I'm not a like fond of when it comes to eating food. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I can eat, I will eat everything and anything, but apricot's one thing that I like, I don't prefer. <laughs> and then, yeah, the okay. Christelle's with the apple, cinnamon, and vanilla brioche. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I really yeah, I mean, Prue said, by the way, uh, Jurgen's was good. It's just that they're judging him by high standards. And so if he doesn't meet them, it stands out, you know? Yeah. But still, it's like, the thing that you have to make sure not to do with a yeast leaven cake is make it too bready. And that's kind of what he did. Yeah. yeah. She, I think Prue made the comment. It, it seemed like a breakfast bake, which to me yeah. sounds more like uh, a bread more than, yeah. than a cake. Yeah. It'd be good, so, but yeah, it still sounded good, but maybe, yeah, the texture bread week was last week, right? Or mm. the week before. Yeah. The wrong week, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He had something with that French slap, though. That was interesting. Giuseppe <laughs> beat him in both of them. Uh, I know. Yeah, he, well, but he did. I think Jurgen did better. Well, I don't remember what Giuseppe had in the signature. I'm sure it was great. But I feel like Jurgen, he got the handshake. You know, I think he probably won out in the signature, but then Giuseppe won out in the other two. So came out ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got first in the technical. Uh, yeah. And, and Jurgen got like fourth or something. Yeah. 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 So. Mm. Yeah, it's got to be tough for Jurgen, who's who comes out on top a lot and has gotten Star Baker at least a couple of times. It's like he's, you know, ho- hopefully he hasn't peaked, you know. And then you do so oh, well I, I don't think that so. um, then the judges expect that perfection out of you every single yeah. time. And and he's never even tasted one of those cakes that they did for the technical. He was like, God damn it. Yeah, he's like, I like Black Forest. (laughs) Good old Jurgen. He's so darn cute. Um, And he's just funny. Okay. Well, let's move on then to standout moments um, or moment if you only have one. But typically we have more than one. We can just go around or if you want to list more than one, up to you. It's a free for all. Um, Jason, Mm -hmm. you want to get started and give us one of your standout moments? I don't know why this tickled me, but when Noel said, to Lizzie, are you excited for German week? And she goes, no, why would I be excited for German week? (laughs) (laughs) She's very, you know, she doesn't mince her words at all. Yep. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Why? Why would I be excited for German (laughs) week? Why would I, you weirdo? (laughs) (laughs) It's the dumbest question ever. (laughs) Uh. Oh, gosh. Pake? Uh, going with another kind of funny line, uh, which Noel and Matt always have. I'm probably stealing this from Jason because he likes a lot of the, the funny lines. But when they just do their, their call outs and I love Noel going, Bakers, you have 10 minutes left. And then Matt following up with Amanda, you have nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she smiled. She has a cute smile. Yeah. I like yeah. when she smiles. <laughs> 
well, one that I have, it's it's uh, more heartwarming, uh, and it really, I thought, was so sweet, um, was Jürgen, um, when he said, I have to do well because I like this bunch of people and want to stay. Aww, Did you guys yeah. catch that? I thought that was the sweetest thing. Yeah. Um, Because they're like, hey, you got a lot of pressure on you, you know, and you, you know, and he's like, well, I have to do well. Uh, <laughs> like this bunch of people, and I'm like, oh, that is so sweet, you're again. Yeah. Um, he's just he's he's so warm uh, when he wants to be um, in his quiet, you know, unassuming kind of way. Um, thought that was sweet. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked when um, Matt says to Lizzie. I know you're not supposed to, but do you ever cast your eyes around the tent to see what everyone else is doing? She goes, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. do, because sometimes Chiggs is very irrational and starts jumping around like a maniac, and then they show him doing just that. Yep. <laughs> and then he, he, she goes, and uh, Christelle starts talking to herself, and then you see her talking to she's herself. Like, hmm, and then she's all, there's no point even looking over at Jurgen, and Matt's like, he's just as cool as a cucumber. And she's like, it's just an average day for him, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> She, you know, she kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Gemma. Yeah, I think the same. <laughs> Some like something about her vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's really funny and fun and kind of I don't know funny. <laughs> yep. Cool. I would, I I can see that. Yeah, that that was a fun moment as she's kind of giving this narration, and that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, I feel like yep. I'm a, a mixture of. <laughs> Um, Christelle and Chiggs in that moment. That's me. Yeah, both. I'm definitely like <laughs> running around like a maniac okay, talking to yourself. This over here. Oh, gotta get this over here. And, oh, and then Christelle, you know, because I talk to myself um, a lot and it's it's out loud. I will say to myself, like, okay, what am I doing? What's this over here? And it, it doesn't have to be self. baking. <laughs> I do. I, I talk to myself. I answer myself. Um, yeah. Pake, what about All you? The time. <laughs> uh, Let's see, again, talking about Amanda, I think just a really cool thing. Um, high praise. She didn't get a handshake, but with that rum plum and raisin cake, she did have Paul Hollywood tell her it's one of the best tasting things he's had in a long time, mm-hmm. which <laughs> it's just short of a handshake, but it still has to just warm her to the core, I'm sure. I agree. Yeah, Lizzie was close to that handshake. I think that really kind of perked her up a little bit. Um, Jurgen got his handshake. I liked um, one of my standout moments was <laughs> uh, Noel. I guess was kind of uh, picking on uh, Lizzie a little bit, and he's like, "What did you just say to me? Don't bring your erratic behavior over here." <laughs> I have, I'm calm. Since watching this episode, I have used in conversation at least five times. Yep. How very much dare you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've never heard you. that before. I don't know yeah, if you made it up I've, or if it's a Britishism. Yeah, I've, I've used it like five <laughs> times this week talking to different people, like joking with them. And I'm, I just go straight to Noel. How very much dare you from that moment? Yeah. Speaking of Noel, I felt like the three of when this happened, I felt like the three of us and everyone who's listening, listening to us talk about this show, when Matt showed up and said Noel wasn't feeling well oh. i felt like we were all like oh no, no! 
we right? Yes. I was like, what? Yeah. He, we just saw him on the screen. Now, of course, however it was edited, we don't know how much He's time He's at a job passed, interview. But I was like, yeah. oh my God, this is the first sign where he just doesn't show up for work. Oh, God. He's moving over to a singing competition show. I, I um. had a panic moment. He's going to take over for the one German host on the German version of the yeah. baking show. Yeah. I, I, I don't like it. Don't like it. He wasn't there when they had their little um, discussion beforehand while, you know, Paul and Prue, mm-hmm. you know, discussing who Star Baker, who needs to leave. And it's just Matt. And then when he, and when they when they come out and make the announcements, and I was like, oh, no, we've doomed. We've, yeah. we've put if, it out if to something the universe. Happens, yeah, if something happens and he leaves the show, I'm blaming you, Jason. I'm gonna say it's, it's not it's my fault. I just <laughs> am very perceptive. That's all. <laughs> so Jason gonna, made it happen. We're going to get all kinds of hate mail. Um <laughs> Consider all right, from now Jason on, Edwards. if I have any insights, I'll keep them to myself. <laughs> myself. Send them all to Self, Jason. I said. <laughs> um, any other standout moments? No, I'm not saying anything. Okay. <laughs> Fake. Uh, I absolutely love the saying and agree that Giuseppe, after they were talking about it, I'm like, yeah, no, he's 100% the love child of... Frank Zappa and Albert yeah. Einstein. Absolutely. I was like, yeah, so yeah. Cool. No, that makes sense. Stuck out his tongue, just like Einstein. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like more actually Frank Zappa, uh-huh. but a little Einstein too, maybe. Mm-hmm. Agreed. When uh, Christelle and Freya were hugging at the end after Freya got, oh. you know, told she was last, la- you know, had to leave. Mm-hmm. I was pretty moved by that. Almost brought me to tears. I I didn't even hear what Christelle was saying, but she's just like, you're the best. She told her she was the most put together 19 year old she'd ever met. Mm. I thought that was so sweet. And I agree. She's not much older herself, but yeah. I I don't know Christelle's age, but um, but she's she's so young and she came so far. That was hard. That was hard. Yeah, Um, I, I worried about her. And it was again with that like first with the signatures and she went back to that vegan meringue that gave her so much trouble last week. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was my fault again. Cause I was predicting that. Last <laughs> <week>. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was saying, I don't think she's going to win because of, cause I really do think that if she had done non-vegan stuff, maybe she would have done better, yeah. but, um, but like we I also, also said don't blame week, her for, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm glad that, that she stuck, stuck to, to it. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hope she's happy with making it halfway through we're halfway through by the way halfway through the freaking greatest baking show in the world yeah well it's like paul said you know she's super talented she did all vegan cooking you know and she made it halfway on 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 the show that's a rare achievement by any standard so it definitely wasn't um you know she had had a bad week and she struggled uh with some of these challenges um but it, I don't think it takes away from any of her talent at all. Um, uh, one more I had is w- at the end of the signature when everyone was like finishing up their biscuits. Well, you know, they make it look like it's all happening in the last minute because uh, Noel said, you have one minute left. And George says, I can hear the bake off rushing music in my head, which was playing. <laughs> and I like that. It's one of mine too. It's one of mine too. Meta. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel that. I, I, I love the music, love the music in this show. Um, but it was quite funny when you yeah. said that. Okay. Any other standout moments? That's all I had. Just when Paul asked George how long he's been married and 
he fumbled around with it and Paul tried to give him another chance and he still couldn't figure it out. Oh, man. <laughs> he's, he's like, like dude. Why would you ask me that? My wife's going to watch this. Yeah, he said like, it was 2008, but he yeah. just couldn't do the math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. He's like, oh, well, I'll ask you again. We'll set you up so you can do it better. And yeah. And he fumbles a second time. Like, fuck, I still don't know. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. I can't catch a break. I mean, he gets credit for remembering the year. I mean, I suck at math. I could probably tell you a year, but how long has it been? Maybe not. And um, at least he was thinking of his 13. wife, you know, that he made that cake, you know, in the spirit of their anniversary. So I feel like he gets credit for that. Um, okay. Well, let's move on then to um, favorite or standout baker. Um, and if you have more than one, that's okay. I know I do. Um, Jason, any changes to your previous choices? Well, is this like, are we picking our favorite baker and then... No prediction, just... We're, we're not changing it or something? No, you can, if it's the From same. From before? No, if it's the same, it can be the same, or if there's someone... I don't know who I picked before. I don't know why I'm asking I that. Um, track. <laughs> let's see. Uh, I, I, it was interesting. They opened, because I watched it twice with Freya saying, I'm feeling really good. The weather's nice. Feeling really positive, for now anyway. Mm. And that, <laughs> that, that turned out to be ominous, but... Um, I was sad to see her go. I, I did think she would make it farther than this because she's freaking awesome. And I was surprised that she got booted so early and it was sad. I so I, and I, I, I don't know, like, I guess the bottom people are Amanda. George. I thought George. it was going to be the one this episode. So I figured Amanda or George would go before Freya. Yeah. Yeah. It was a surprise for me. I thought Freya would, would still be in for another round or two. And I really thought it was going to be George. I think it kind of should have been, honestly, just my mm. judgment from the TV screen and not actually being in front of his bakes or being an expert. Um, but so I was surprised. Um, mm-hmm. He's sloppy. Yeah, he's a little sloppy with his presentations yeah. and mm-hmm. erratic a lot. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I was surprised. Um. But, but that thing that she made at the end with the wine dripping down, I was like, okay, it's rustic. No, it just looks horrible. I thought yeah. it looked horrible. <laughs> like I could see where you might want to try to see it as some fancy rustic thing, but I was like, no, it's not working for me. It looks like a, like a accident or something. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul, I think said she, she should have put some frosting around the sides to disguise it, you know, but yeah. she, she, she didn't agree. She thought it looked good. Prue thought her. Like topping to like cake ratio was off. There wasn't enough. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I still would have tried it. I think the idea of it yeah. was really good. Um, I would, you know, the wine that she had drizzle. I think pretty much anything, no matter how bad it's judged, I would eat on here, except for maybe those uh, toffee puddings that Maggie did last week that had no flour in them. I think that yeah. one. I don't or anything with us. apricot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love apricots, but uh, any raw dough, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't eat. Let's not get oh, sick. Oh, I'd, I'd eat yeah. it raw. I don't care. <laughs> God, that sounded really bad. I'm sorry. Um, New sound clip. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm editing that out. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what about a favorite baker? You you, you mentioned Freya and, and her leaving. Was she one of your favorites that left? Or Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I'm really sad no, about it, okay. too. Um, um, the only, I mean, it was really interesting to watch Jurgen this week, given that he had all the pressure on him. Uh, but I feel like we've 
pretty much talked all that out. The only other comment I had on any Baker is, uh, I can't believe that Giuseppe is five years younger than me. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at all their ages uh-huh. and he's 45. <laughs> Interesting. Pay? I don't think of him as oh. younger than me when I look at him, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Favorite. Everybody who's left kind of has their own charm and everything now. So mm-hmm. yeah. I like them in different ways. But I think so. If I have to kind of make that prediction, if I feel bold enough to be like, okay, who do I who do I ride with as winning this whole thing? I feel like if I have to make a prediction, it's going to be Giuseppe. Ooh. As of right now, bold like, going for it, huh? Just he has stayed consistently on top and impressive, even when he has like a bad bake or a bad moment. It's still a lot above some of the other ones. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really wouldn't want to have to predict because I think it could just as easily be Jurgen. But mm-hmm. um, I guess if I had to, I'd bet Giuseppe. Although I'd be like, I could lose all this money. <laughs> yeah, I'm not putting anything on it, but uh, and yeah, I'm not. I would put money on it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not making any predictions yet. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Maybe as we get a little closer to finals or something. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I've talked about my favorite bakers. It hasn't changed much. I still love Christelle. I know she's been kind of like medium, you know, in the middle for the last episode or two. But I still really like her, and not just for her talent and her bakes, but I just I think I like her as a person and. a I like her personality. I feel like I could really jive with her. Um, and then like Giuseppe and Jurgen are favorites. I was Freya. I think um, because she's so young, I had like this motherly thing t- for her. So I just grab it. Like she makes, she reminds me of my daughter a little bit. So I, it was kind of like, Oh, you know? And so I just had felt like that kind of connection with her and was really sad to see her go. I was really really sad. Like she was crying even before it was announced. And I just, my heart broke for her. I'm just (laughs) like, Oh my God, please don't cry. Cause I'm going to cry. Um, (laughs) such a sweet girl broke my heart. Um, and then I think Lizzie, you know, she's starting to grow on me a little bit. I like her quirkiness. So I don't know. I like them all. I don't like to make, you know, I just, I love her. I love them all. Love them all. George too, even though he's sloppy, seems like a cool dude. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it's interesting how how well they do casting and get just like the nicest people. I just want to just hang out in that tent and talk to everyone. Um, mm-hmm. okay. There have been ones I w- I was kind of annoyed with, but not this time. Yeah, those don't tend to last very long. <laughs> Usually, the guy threw his cake in the garbage. Uh, yeah, just whatever it was, walked away and throw it in the rubbish bin. Okay, any other. Uh, moments or any other things that you want to talk about for this episode, or do you think we've talked it out? I'm good. I think I've covered everything I had. Yeah. Excellent. Well, next week we'll cover episode six um, called pastry week. So it's my favorite pastry week's my favorite and I'm excited and non no spoilers, but I've heard there are a couple of saucy moments um, Hmm. circulating that I've, you know, been been hearing like little tidbits. Lines, someone lines. takes off their clothes or something. Uh, not quite that far, uh, mm. but you know how how they always kind of skirt a little bit of like you know uh, dirty innuendos a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I think some of that. And, and by they, you mean Noel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hearing there are disasters. I don't know 
exactly what or who. And if I did, I wouldn't say it anyway, but I'm hearing there's some disasters. So I'm excited to watch this next episode. Um, just kind of see right. what all the talk is about. So anyway, look forward to that uh, next week. Um, pastry week. Oh, God, that's going to be good, I think. I love pastry. Yes. All right. On your marks. Back. Get set. <laughs> <laughs>